Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. It was a wonderful weekend in Vancouver. I almost didn't come back. What a city. What an amazing part of Canada. Yes, it's filled with hippie leftists, but the scenes, the weather, I poured on Saturday. It was uh, Noah. Noah was thinking of com- making a comeback on Saturday. But it is just such a beautiful part of this country. And the Conservative Party gathered out there, and I got to meet so many wonderful members of the CFRA Nation, uh, so many people that listen to this show but don't live in I've met a lot of people from Ottawa, but also a lot of people that listen to this show and are starting to listen to this station from across the country because they want a common-sense voice, and they hear it here. So it was a pleasure to meet all of you, uh, take photos with you, exchange a few words. Thank you, because meeting the audience, um, you know, Anyone that's done this job can tell you it, uh, it, it it reinvigorates you. So a lot happened over the weekend. Did the Conservative Party throw off the shackles of social conservatism? Are they big centrist? No, no, don't believe the hype. On the whole marriage thing, they embraced what has been the law and reality for 13 years. Yeah, 2003. That's when gay marriage started in Canada. And the clock's not turning back. So it's... Reality. That's what they embraced. They also passed a resolution citing firearms ownership as part of Canada's heritage. And they condemned gendercide through sex-selective abortion, which is a travesty that Parliament itself has unanimously, I believe, condemned a couple of years ago. But I'm sure the media will spin this as more reactionary actions from the Conservatives. We're going to bring you some audio over the next little while from what happened on the weekend. And there's a great uh, conversation I had with Jason Kenney that I want to play for you in its entirety later on in the program. But the Liberals were also holding their convention. And it was a bit of news. Friday night, uh, word started to spread through a, um, a hospitality suite that Maxime Bernier was hosting that Ontario and Alberta politics had collided And then this came up at the Liberal Convention on the weekend. What am I talking about? I'm talking about uh, Wild Rose. That's the opposition party in Alberta. Well, Kathleen Wynne was out in Alberta on Thursday. And while she was there, Derek Philibrand, who used to live here in Ottawa, he was with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Then he went back home to Alberta to run the Alberta chapter of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Then he ran successfully. He is the Wild Rose finance critic. Well, apparently he launched a vicious, vicious attack, a vicious, vicious attack on Kathleen Wynne. And that was part of the reason that he was suspended from Wild Rose Caucus. That and uh, saying thank you to someone who made a comment on Facebook and he says he didn't fully read the tweet that referred to Kathleen Wynne as Mr. Wynne. But Kathleen Wynne actually claims that she was viciously attacked in the legislature. Here she is. This is from a a CTV report. Listen to Kathleen Wynne describe what happened, and then we're going to play you what was actually said about her in Alberta's legislature. And I think the attack, the the viciousness of the attack, had a particular quality to it. So I will just say we need to pay attention to that. And she went on to claim that she was attacked 
because she's a woman. Can you believe this? The premier was viciously attacked in another provincial legislature after she was introduced, while she was watching Question Period, she was viciously attacked because she's a woman. Well, let's play that vicious attack now so that you can hear it. This is Wild Rose finance critic in the province of Alberta, Derek Fildebrand. Mr. Speaker, today Alberta welcomed Ontario's Liberal Premier Kathleen Wynne to the Legislative Assembly. While I'm sure their talk session was valuable, we aren't sure what benefit Albertans can get from Ontario's emissions plan. For power consumers, it spent skyrocketing power bills, massive subsidies to unprofitable initiatives, and Auditor General's reports into billions of wasted tax dollars. A few months ago, our Premier praised the Ontario plan. Is the Premier still endorsing this plan? And if so, what part does she think will benefit Albertans? Did you hear the viciousness of that attack? No, you probably didn't, because it's not there. It's simply not there. And yet this premier gets to go around and say to the media, and then the media turn around and dutifully report it about how this is really nasty stuff. Can you imagine she's attacked because she's a woman? No, she's attacked because she's wrong. And I wouldn't even call that attacked. I would call that a statement of fact. Well, Philibrand asked a couple of follow-up questions. None of them were attacks. None of them were vicious. They simply pointed out the reality that those of us that live in Ontario deal with each and every day. That Kathleen Wynne's policies are driving us to bankruptcy. That Kathleen Wynne's policies are a failure. But don't expect any of this to stick on her. This is going to stick on the redneck, rowdy, yahoo, wild rose, conservative, blah, blah, blah. That's what this is going to stick to. Brian Jean was wrong to suspend Derek Fildbrand from caucus. He should have just let let him apologize. But unfortunately, conservative politicians are quick to throw people under the bus, while liberals, I mean, she wants to talk about vicious attacks? What? What do liberals say about conservatives on a daily basis? Let's talk about that as vicious attacks. But liberals stand by each other. One more issue I want to bring up before we go to Lowell Green, and we'll take your calls at the bottom of the hour. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or 1-800-580-2372. Justin Trudeau. This is a man who has been very critical of... The Temporary Foreign Workers Program. In fact, while he was simply leader of the third party, here's what he had to say about that very issue. Mr. Speaker, the government has allowed the Temporary Foreign Workers Program to become a force that drives down wages across the country and takes advantage of vulnerable people from abroad. He has doubled the intake of temporary foreign workers since taking office. So will the Prime Minister now commit to significant reductions in the size of this broken program. The Temporary Foreign Workers Program drives down wages. Well, now we learn that he hit the first nannies that he hired. He hired one through the Temporary Foreign Workers Program. He had to apply for a labor market assessment. He got one. He applied for a second, was rejected. Then he decided to hire Canadian nannies. And yet he has been very critical of this same program. By the way, he's also put forward many applications and supported them for businesses in his riding over the years. 
Another example of liberal do as I say, not as I do. Lowell Green's up next. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Minister announced the moratorium on the temporary foreign workers program. He said Canadian wages have, quote, barely kept pace with inflation. Understandable, since as it turns out, the minister himself approved the entry of tens of thousands of foreign workers at minimum wage. When will this government reverse its wage suppressing policies and fix its broken program? Oh, Justin Trudeau denouncing the temporary foreign workers program he used to hire nannies. It's just wonderful, the irony of it all. Lowell Green joins me now. No shocker there, really, Lowell, but I think it's worth playing and pointing out and just reminding people how these folks really act. Yeah, whether anybody really is listening anymore, uh, I mean, the honeymoon period very clearly uh, continues for Justin Trudeau. Uh, oh, he can uh, elbow other MPs and his popularity goes up, I hear. Now, one of the things that apparently uh, Justin Trudeau is going to decide is whether he should discipline Kevin Vickers for uh, reacting as he did. Uh, could you believe that video last week? That was, to me, that was amazing. Let me, let me tell you a story. This is a story that has never been told before, although a number of people are quite aware of it. Just to, as an illustration, this is a personal illustration of how sometimes you do stupid things or dangerous things out of pure instinct, that your instincts just take over. Uh, in the 90s, I very frequently received letters from someone who called himself Andre the Bomber. Some listeners may remember this guy. He phoned more than once. Yeah. They, the letters uh, were very threatening. This was a guy who had set off a bomb at a Montreal school. He'd spent some time in jail. He was a very staunch member of the FLQ, et cetera, et cetera. Very dangerous man. Um, one day I came off the air. We were on Walkley Road at the time, the CFRA. And standing in the middle of the newsroom, nobody seemed to know who this was, was this very large man with a, with a ponytail. I knew instantly, immediately, this is Andre the Bomber. He has somehow gotten into CFRA right into the middle of the newsroom, and there's got to be 10, 12 people around, including mm-hmm. Steve Winogron, by the way, our news director. Nobody seemed to know who this guy was. They, everybody just seemed stunned. I immediately knew who it was. I raced over. I grabbed him by the arm, and I said, Andre, your quarrel is with me. Come with me. We're going outside. And he did. And, and my, my feeling, my reaction was, my God, this guy may have a bomb and he's going to kill everybody and I've got to get him out of here. It was an instinct. I got him out into the lobby and believe it or not, when I was a younger man, I was a pretty good boxer. I was a pretty good scrapper when I was a younger guy. Now I'm in my 50s. And I slapped my hands and he said, all right, you son of a bitch, let's go. And <laughs> honest to God, and, and he just looked at me absolutely stunned. Uh, the the switchboard operator apparently had a panic button, and several people finally rushed in and escorted this guy out. He he wrote me a letter several days later. He said, "You know, Mr. Green, I've been thrown in jail. I've been hit with a. I've been beaten up and kicked. I've been hit in the head with a lead pipe, but I never had anybody stand there and say, let's go.' So <laughs> I never heard from him again. My point is, is that Kevin Vickers, I am sure, is a man. He's a man of action." 
He saw what, what could have been danger. I mean, these days people are wearing suicide belts, for God's sake, and he took action. He, it was an instinct reaction, and I understand exactly. He thought, this is possible danger. And he, he's going to do something about it. And I'm going to tell you, if Justin Trudeau disciplines this guy... That that will hurt his that, popularity. Ab, yeah, I, well, I don't know. I mean, to me, he did absolutely... He, he is a man of action. He took, And well, the other thing, too, is that when something like this happens, so many... And this is what happened at CFRA. Everybody was just shocked. Nobody knew what to do. Uh, they just sort of stood there. I'll never forget that. Everybody's just looking at this huge man with this ponytail, and immediately I knew who it was, and <laughs> stupidly gra- grabbed the whole of it. Well, anyway. like you say, it, we, it was instinct, and instinct. and you just you just moved. And I think that's what Vickers did, and Absolutely. kudos to him. It's fantastic. You know, I'll, I'll throw that out to the audience uh, when we open the phone lines as well. Should Kevin Vickers be disciplined Absolutely. for acting like a, a sane human being? I'd say no. I have to ask you about Kathleen Wynne. <laughs> Turning around, she's criticized for her policies by someone questioning the government of Alberta. Are you going to adopt those failed policies of the yeah. premier that's visiting? Well, he, and oh, she turns around and, and says she's attacked because she's a woman. Yeah, well, he, he called Ontario a basket case, which could not be a more accurate description. It remind, her, her claiming this is all about gender because she's a woman reminds me of a joke i won't go through the whole thing but someone with a very bad speech impediment is explaining why she didn't get a job as the the host of ctv and says it's i didn't get the job because i'm a woman i mean it's got nothing to do not only that but i mean he was criticizing government policies he wasn't necessarily criticizing her I mean, the the man in charge, the, the person in charge of energy in this province is Bob Shirelli. For well, for sake. now, I think he's about to be shuffled off to Buffalo. Thankfully, Ooh. Bob, I th- I think he's out in this next cabinet shuffle. And uh, I keep uh, hearing uh, rumors uh, that uh, uh, the, the Ontario PCs need to be ready for a by-election in Ottawa, West Nepean, that Bob's going to go. You know, I, once again, just just briefly on this issue... To me, the most egregious thing that the Liberals are doing in Ontario is shutting off about half the capacity of Niagara Falls. I mean, here they claim they're the great environmentalists. They're going to saddle us with carbon tax, etc., etc., to cut down on, on, on emissions, carbon emissions, while they are shutting down half the capacity, sometimes more than half the capacity, of the most environmental-friendly we ha- method we have of producing electricity. It is outrageous. And what, what is outrageous, I have never heard any of the columnists, newspaper editorials mention this fact. They are cutting back one-half, sometimes more than one-half, the potential of hydropower in this province. I, it I, is I a disgrace. I think you hear about that from uh, Christina Blizzard, and that might be about it. I know. Uh, you know, she's a voice of sanity there. By the way, right now, hydro, 30.9%, nuclear, 49%, natural gas, 14% of our energy supply. Wind is up today, Lowell. It's huge. It's it's 4.1%. Let me just say this. that on any <laughs> And even gi- though it's sunny, it's uh, solar is less than Excuse half me, of 1%. I, I, on any given day, this is important, on any given day, nuclear and hydropower con- uh, contributes more than we need. We don't need the gas plants. We don't need the wind. We don't need the solar. All we need is nuclear 
and hydro, certainly at this point and for the next 10 years. That's all we need are those two. We don't need any of the others. That's it. And all you got to do, go to, folks, I-E-S-O. You'll see it there. It's not green. It's not lily. It's the government itself admitting it. Uh, we, You and I can read, though, and that's the difference. Lowell, great talking news always. Good morning. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News, 521-TALK, 521-8255. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly, News Talk 580 CFRA. So Kathleen Wynne is out whining today that she was attacked viciously because she's a woman. This is what she's claiming. You probably heard it in the news or you heard it on CTV. And I think the attack, the, um, the viciousness of the attack, had a particular quality to it. Right. So I will just say we need to pay attention to that. Right. Uh, so I want to put it to you. Is Kathleen Wynne under attack? And if so, is it because she's a woman? 521-TALK, 521-8255, or star 580 on Bell Mobility. I think it's her policies, and I don't think it was an attack. I think it was a critique. I think she dishes out far nastier than that in Ontario's legislature. I think that she dishes out far nastier than that in scrums with the media. But then she turns around and claims that any critique of her is due to sexism or her sexual identity. Because I'm a lesbian, because I'm a woman. No, it's because you were wrong. I really don't care about any of that other stuff, Miss Wynn. I do not care, Premier. I care about your policies and the fact that you are leading Ontario down the wrong path and destroying this province. That is the real problem here. So quit with these lame excuses and let's get down to brass tacks. By the way, when you do shuffle your cabinet, I don't care whether it's gender balanced or not, but please fire Bob. I did have several conservatives over the weekend say they don't want Glenn Murray gone from the environment portfolio because, well, he's insane. And he shows where the liberals truly are on the environment portfolio. And so if he gets shuffled out, if he's gone, then, you know, there might be somebody that's competent in there. They actually want Murray to stay in the environment portfolio because that it's only going to hurt the liberals long term. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. And I'll add to this the, um, the question of Kevin Vickers. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau saying, I haven't decided whether I will discipline Kevin Vickers for rustling up a protester at an event in Ireland. Of course, Vickers, the former RCMP uh, officer, turned sergeant-at-arms of the House of Commons, the man credited with taking out terrorist uh, Michel uh, Zihaf Bibo, on Parliament Hill. I know that there were many people that took the shots, but he, he was the one given credit, so he was appointed ambassador to Ireland and then uh, rustled up a protester last week. Why on earth would you even have to make a decision on that? But, well, that's Justin Trudeau. I'm not sure I'm ever going to understand him. Rob's calling in on the Temporary Foreign Workers Program. Rob, it drives down wages. It's awful, and that's why Justin Trudeau joined in on it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it was labeled as a, there's been this ongoing wage cutting, usually through health care 
elder care austerity when you get injured in a, in a job accident or even the uh, the way that auto accidents have been victim, victimized as well. The wealthy and businesses have gotten large tax cuts since the 80s. And so that's why there's a labor shortage. It's just that, I mean, you look at the past in the 70s, there was no street people and now there is. Like that's the effect oh, baloney. of wage cutting. Baloney, there were street people in the 70s. But they were very few. And now well, like, so 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 the fact that the fact that uh, just blocks from me, we've got a pile of people in shelters and uh, homeless and wandering the byword market. That's due to wage cutting, as opposed to the emptying out of uh, asylums and other places where we used to try and help people. There simply isn't the taxes coming in to, to build the hospital beds, etc. Hospital bed is like three hundred thousand a year now. Uh, uh, okay, think- Rob, I, I'm putting you on hold. I have no idea. You call in, but I have no idea what you're talking about because you you start saying one thing, you go off in another direction, and and when I ask you a follow up to to try and understand, you talk about something else. Anybody out there want to join in the conversation that I can understand? It's five two one talk five two one eight two five five star five eighty on Bell Mobility, or you can email me beyond the news at cfra dot com. Uh, Mark uh, writes in regarding Derek Fildebrand. Uh, Derek was absolutely right. He was just telling the truth about the situation in Ontario. And Mommy Wynn did not like hearing it. Ooh, don't, don't call her Mommy. That might be sexist or gender-specific or cis-normative or something that I don't fully understand. So don't use that language, Mark. Don't. He goes on. She uses the race card every time to deflect attention away from her awful public policies. Well, it's the gender card, really, or the sexual identity card, or... This time she's going to use the mom card, maybe, because we're saying nasty things about her. Anne in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Hi. Oh, Wynn, give me a break. Yeah, I'm surprised she she didn't say that he was uh, against women and against um, people that are gay. I mean, Well, well so <clears throat> part of the reason that he was suspended from the Wild Rose Caucus wasn't so much what he said in the legislature, although that became a, uh, uh, a, a bit of a problem uh, for... I don't know why it was controversial, but someone made a comment on his Facebook page saying, um, thanks for telling Mr. Wynn or however she identifies herself. Words to that effect. Uh, Phil DeBrand said he gets 800 comments a day on his Facebook page, tries to respond to people that he didn't fully read it. But, you know, he could have just apologized for that because, you know, if you know Derek Fildebrandt, he doesn't care about any of that. He cares about our policies. I know. And, and the fiscal ruins that they've left Ontario in, I'm sorry. She deserves to be pilloried for that. And the whole darn bunch of those Ontario liberals do. Um, the thing about Kevin Vickers, how ridiculous is the left wing? I mean, come on. The guy steps up. He does something that he's trained to do. It's almost an instinctive thing. He could sense there was going to be trouble. It's Ireland. Who the hell knows? Look, look what's going on in Ireland, you know, historically. So he, he takes action. I mean, it, it was it, what? It, it was somebody uh, protesting <laughs> that they were uh, memorializing the British soldiers that died in the 1916 uprising. Yeah. And, you know, that tells you that the person is probably on the on the Republican uh, Irish nationalist side of that equation. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are they Provo supporters? Who knows? So we jumped in. 
I mean, why the heck would would Trudeau not say the guy should be getting the Order of Canada for bravery, for heaven's sake, for trying to help? Oh, no, no. Well, it's, it's well, going to be a wing thing. probably doesn't like that the sergeant of arms is, actually carries a gun in the House of Commons either. Uh, Kevin Vickers, well, he didn't carry it. He kept it in his desk. Um, so, yeah, it, it, this is Trudeau's mentality, I guess. And as to Shirelli, good riddance, but unfortunately we're still stuck with that nut job. Glenn Murray. Oh, no, no. As I said, I had uh, <laughs> high-level Ontario Conservatives on the weekend who were out in Vancouver saying, got to keep Murray in there. He's a blessing every time he speaks. Oh, because he says stupid things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah well, uh, but he, he may destroy the province, but they'll destroy the province one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Well, let's vote a different way next time, folks, please. Thanks for the call, Anne. Okay, bye. Let's go to Mo in Ottawa. Mo, you're on Beyond the News. Yes, uh, I understand from the paper that the intent of the Ontario government is to eventually convert all um, gas-fired homes heated by gas fire to electrical heating. And I thought that since I have already been heating my house by electrical heating for the last 40 years, because I was uh, convinced by Hydro at that time that it was pretty cheap to do, and it is nice, clean energy. And I thought that people should know that my little house, my three-bedroom house, cost me $500 a month in electricity, and that is about 25% greater than my total property tax. Now, my total property tax covers fire services, police services, storm sewers, building and maintenance, sanitary sewers, building and maintenance, all roads, building and maintenance, all low-cost housing, any bridges over the canal, and all your social services. For those people who still believe that man is responsible for global warming, they should understand what it's going to cost to save the planet. Well, the United Nations says the warming paused in 1998, Mo. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, 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 well, for those people that are interested, and I've been, I, I, for the last six or seven years, I've been going to man-made global warming skeptics. And you only have to Google that. And you'll find, like, I could name you perhaps a dozen people uh, who have PhDs at the end of their names who work for universities and who are skeptics of man-made global warming. And I defy anybody to really come up with 12 people that are proponents of man-made global warming with PhDs at the end of their name. David Suzuki uh, is one of them, and he's flying off to a conference to tell the rest of us not to fly. That's how it goes. Thanks for the call. Okay. 521-TALK, 521-8255-STAR-580 on Bell Mobility. I'd really like to hear from the ladies of the CFRA Nation. Women out there, if you're listening, call in 521-TALK, 521-8255. When a woman like Kathleen Wynne says, this was a vicious attack and it happened because I'm a woman. When we know, you can hear that it is simply a critique of her policies. Does that not cheapen feminism? Does that not cheapen real discrimination against women? Because let's face it, yeah, it's out there sometimes, but when Kathleen Wynne jumps up and says, oh, this happens because I'm a woman, I think it cheapens real discrimination. I think it cheapens the message of those who want to try and fix uh sexual discrimination in society. What do you think? Ladies of the CFRA Nation in particular, I want to hear from you. 521-TALK, 521-8255. Ross in Smith Falls, you're on Beyond the News. Hello, Ross? Yes, well, seeing 
got booed in that because of her policies. It's plain, simple there. Like, she wants to ban natural gas. The leaked documents show she denies it. Myself, I rather trust a rattlesnake than her. Anyway, Ontario, well, that's because you don't like. like that's because you don't like women, Ross. No, that's because you're no, sexist. No. You're sexist. Why are yeah. you criticizing her? It's their policies there. Like, why would you want to ban natural gas? She's going to tell people upgrade their natural gas furnace, upgrade your water heaters, and then ban it. Yeah. Oh, you know, like uh, then we're overproducing hydro for how many years? She's selling it to the states, Manitoba, Quebec, for free. But then, now we know why, because she wants everybody to get off the gas. They, they, they're, they're trying to walk back from that now, but I think it's clear, as you say, that the, the leaked documents show this is the plan, but now that they're getting pushback from the public, they're going, oh, oh, maybe we should reconsider. Maybe we should think of doing something else. The other thing she says, she's staying the course of McGinty. Anyway, was her whole uh, thing to, to make uh, wind and solar power so unaffordable that we got the highest rates in uh, North America. Oh, we lost over 300,000 jobs in Ontario. Mm-hmm. That, now, was that their and that's, that, all along? that's from a liberal think tank called the Mowat Center, which uh, you know, helped write Dalton McGuinty's policies. And the, the, the former head of it is now inside Justin Trudeau's prime minister's office. So that, that, that's not crazy right-wingers saying we lost 300,000 manufacturing jobs in Ontario due to their bad policies. And then why are we subsidizing people that buy $1.1 million vehicles? Oh, I don't and know. That, and then, uh, you know, like, uh, then she wants to add 4.3 cents a liter more on, uh, on heating oil. So now we're going to be paying tax on a tax on a tax, because now we're going to get the environmental tax or gas tax or our HST. Like, the, she's a complete lunatic. It's, um, it's obvious that uh, through these critiques, Ross, that, that you're sexist, that you hate women. Oh, but yeah. thanks for calling in. Okay, I'm Brian you. Lilly. This is Beyond oh. the News, 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Ross mentioned electric cars. I walked by a Tesla. They have a Tesla showroom on Robson Street in Vancouver. Cash price starts at 80900 after incentives and gas savings, but the real price, $99,900. Beautiful car. Ladies of the CFRA Nation, where are you? Call in. 521-TALK. Brian Lilly, B-Lil, Beyond the News, back after this. Every day as events happen, we're there. Now back to News and Views with Rob Snow on News Talk 580 CFRA. In a world gone mad, there must be resistance. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I'm asking you if critiquing Kathleen Wynne is a vicious, sexist attack. What are your thoughts? 521-TALK, 521-8255. Particularly want to hear from the ladies of the CFRA Nation. There's a couple of you waiting on the line, but Dave's been on a bit longer, so let's go to Dave quickly. Because I'm sexist and I'm going to make the ladies wait. That's a good idea. I'm sexist too. <laughs> it, I, I can't believe she's playing that. That's uh, absolutely unreal. I mean... That's like uh, the, the biggest shot in the credibility you could ever take. Well, I, 
Does she have any credibility no, left? No, no. Maybe that's why it doesn't matter. But that's not why I called. Um, the, the the global warming thing, I remember over the weekend now, because of the, the race and the heat and all that kind of stuff, they were saying that, I think it was it Saturday or Friday was the hottest, uh, May 28th or whatever it was, uh, since oh, so you guys had the good weather while I was away. Yeah, and uh, what was it? Uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday was the hottest three-day stretch since 1911. Well, now, if we're beating, if it was that hot way back then, I mean, can you imagine all the, <laughs> all the jet planes are running around in 1911 and all these big gas-guzzling SUVs spewing out the pollution? Hey, wait a minute. They weren't. So what caused all those really hot, hot times that were finally, a hundred years later, getting around to beating the records? I'm like, how do you square that? Well, you don't, and there's no correlation between uh, carbon output, CO2 output, and temperature. And this has been demonstrated time and again, (laughs) uh, including by Patrick Moore, who is an actual scientist, an actual PhD, co-founder of Greenpeace. They they just confound me. And... uh, it's, it's, uh, quick comments on Mr. Murray, then i got to go. Yeah, he's uh, a, a nut job, but uh, what's the difference? You, 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 pretty, you get nut jobs, and, and, and you get uh, people like Shirelli who just can't seem to get their tongue straight at all. These liberals are so crooked, when they die, you won't bury them, just screw them in. Dave, thanks for the call. <laughs> Not Bye-bye. sure what that means. I'm going to leave it alone. Let's go to uh, Michelle in Ottawa. You're on Beyond the News. <laughs> Sorry, was that Michelle? Yeah, yes, it is. Hi, I was laughing because I was funny. Okay, so I was calling about the gorilla, Bob Bray and Kathleen Wynne. And here, uh, give me a moment here. So I okay. the everybody's going on about the gorilla. And um, I saw this woman interviewed, and she filmed the gorilla swinging the child around. And she was saying, she was describing the situation with the mother beforehand, that the mother was overwhelmed, and she had all these kids. And but what about the onus of the other people standing there? Why didn't somebody step in when the child was going under the first fence? But I only saw a headline about this. Uh... Well, they pulled their cell phones out to film it. But have we all forgotten that we have a, an onus on us as good people just to prevent such a tragedy? Because God knows that animal could have ripped that child to pieces. Yeah, I, 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 only, I only saw a headline about this because okay. I was kind of overwhelmed well, so on my, the weekend. Theory... So quickly to, to Kathleen okay, so, Wynn. Well, here, hold on. My theory is that we've been conditioned not to step in, and that's why Trump is so refreshing, because did you see what he said about Gary Johnson, the libertarian who compared him to the Nazi party, saying what uh, Trump wanted to do? No. Okay, well, well anyway, you're well, running out of time, Michelle. I know you haven't given me time, but I, I, I quickly want to get to the point here is that he fights back and he fires a warning shot across the bow. And when it comes to Kathleen Wynne, I'm so glad the Conservative Party addressed the whole marriage issue because they need to focus on the fact that it's a character of the woman. I don't care that she's gay. I care how she behaves and what she does. And then I, I see Bob Ray sticking his finger down his throat. Uh, making like he's going to vomit when uh, Trudeau mentions uh, Mr. Harper's name. That's not acceptable. Had that have been a conservative behaving that way, for God's sakes, Barbara, you're 70 years old. You held a position of, of leadership in this country. Represent yourself with a bit of dignity and class. It's not, you're not... And, on- and normally politicians all say nice things about each other when they retire. They put down the weapons for a couple of minutes and, and say nice things about each other, and Bob couldn't even do that. He's he's vulgar, and, and his he's it's all about Bob, and that's evident in his behavior. And I saw uh, Mr. Crutcher this morning on a CPAC thing, and, you know, he, he throws 
some nice bones once in a while. He's a likable person, you know. He, he was as crooked as they came. But he's not, you know, he was talking about how Justin has got this love fest going on and somewhere like in Finland or Sweden they've got a fan club for him. Really, all it is is they find him very attractive because that's his shell of a man. And if you're proud to sit in a room where he's your leader, God help us all. All right, Michelle, thanks for the call. You're welcome. Ladies of the CFRI Nation, call in 521-TALK, 521-8255. Kathleen Wynne claims any critique of her is sexist. What do you say? We'll be back after this. I'm Brian Lilly. Beyond the news at CFRA.com if you want to email. Beyond the news with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Interesting. Friend just emailed me a picture of um, the Elbowgate cocktail that was being served by the president of the Liberal Party at an event this past weekend. Huh. Huh. Of course, the Liberals were holding their big uh, convention in Winnipeg. I'm not going to say that I got the better deal in going to the conservative convention in Vancouver, but I got the better deal in going to the conservative convention in Vancouver. Nothing against Winnipeg, but Vancouver is just a stunning, stunning location. And, of course, it was in Winnipeg, though, that Kathleen Wynne was complaining that, well, these critiques of her policies in the Alberta legislature. See, she was out in Alberta visiting NDP Premier Rachel Notley. This was on Thursday. And then the opposition stood up. Derek Feldbrand. Many of you have heard Derek on these airwaves as a spokesman for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. He stood up during question period and asked the Alberta government if they were going to follow the same failed policies that Kathleen Wynne has followed. And what did Wynne do? She turned around and called it a vicious attack. Dave, can, can we play Kathleen Wynne again? Let's just play Wynne and, and, and hear how she describes it. She said that this was because she was a woman. And I think the attack, the, um, the viciousness of the attack, yeah. had a particular quality to it. Yeah. So I will just say we need to pay attention to that. Right. All right. Now let's listen to what Fildebrand actually said. How vicious an attack he laid upon her in the Alberta legislature. Mr. Speaker, today Alberta welcomed Ontario's Liberal Premier Kathleen Wynne to the Legislative Assembly. While I'm sure their talk session was valuable, we aren't sure what benefit Albertans can get from Ontario's emissions plan. For power consumers, it's meant skyrocketing power bills, Mm -hmm. massive subsidies to unprofitable initiatives, and Auditor General's reports into billions of wasted tax dollars. A few months ago, our Premier praised the Ontario plan. Is the Premier still endorsing this plan? And if so, what part does she think will benefit Albertans? Can you believe how vicious and sexist that attack was? Well, who does he think he is? Ladies of the CFRA Nation, is that a vicious, sexist attack? And do you think that when Wynne claims that, that she's cheapening real discrimination against women? Darlene in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Welcome back, Brian. Thank you. Well, I almost didn't come back. It's gorgeous out there. I know. It's a little expensive, but gorgeous. (laughs) Yeah. 
nice break from Ottawa. Yeah. yeah. So do, um, do you think that she's being um, disingenuous or that she's cheapening real discrimination? Well, I think she is a cheap person and with little class, and she's ruined Ontario along with McKinsey. So you clearly hate women. everything that she gets, which was really nothing except the truth. Darlene, what I'm taking from your comments is that you clearly hate women. (laughs) Well, I'm a woman, and although since retirement, the way I dress, it's sometimes hard to tell. (laughs) But uh, uh, it's got nothing to do with hating women. You know, it's, it's simply she is a lousy premier and has ruined this province. Got nothing to do with her. I wish she was gone, and she will be gone, you know. But, um, yeah, yeah, it, it was, yeah, what that MP was saying was simply the truth. All right, thanks for the call. Can I just mention yep. one thing? Mm-hmm. They have forgotten about, you know, converting to electricity, their great plan, and people assume it's all private homes. And then I started to think, what about all these subsidized housing projects that are so old and so out of date? We're going to pay to have all of these converted as well. Ching, 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 ching. Huh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's just going to go up and up. That's right. Thanks yeah. for the call, Darlene. Okay, bye Let's go to Bernie in Mississauga. Socialist Bernie, how are you? Not too bad. Yourself today. I'm well. Which deficit are you calling in about? Well, I'm calling about the the Ontario deficit. They pay a, about a billion dollars a month on the three hundred billion they owe, and, and that's one of the things that the Wild Rose raised was that uh, they they have uh, made Ontario the most indebted sub sovereign government in the world. Mm-hmm. That, that's not good, whether you're left or right. Yeah, no, no, it, it does bother me. But also the federal deficit, they pay thirty billion a year on interest on that. That's seven hundred. Billion. The total combined deficit. No, no, cost, it's not. It's not thirty billion a month at the federal no, level. 30 it's thirty billion, billion for the year, uh, year for and year. it's eleven billion for uh, a year. Eleven plus for Ontario. Yeah, but I'm just saying uh, the combined uh, deficit across the country, counting the provinces, is about one point three trillion. The gross domestic product is only about two trillion a year. Canadians are carrying the personal debt besides the the federal and provincial deficits of. Uh, uh, two uh, two trillion dollars almost. So uh, I just know that all the all the interest that's being paid on all this deficit. Who's the money going to? Well, it's going to whoever lent us the money. Well, Som- uh, sometimes I see a report in, uh, from 2010 that uh, 72 percent of the deficit was controlled by the banks and financial institutions. 15 percent was by foreign entities. The thing is, is a uh, hundred billion dollars a year in Canada. Uh, provincial and federal debt. Uh, that hundred billion dollars could have been used for a, a lot of things, but uh, well, you, you, all, got, all you have interest, to pay your debts, though. Who's who's the shareholders of all that 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 debt is owed to? Well, if if you're a Canadian and you have any kind of retirement plan, then you likely own shares in a bank. And let's face it, if they renege on the the payouts to the banks in this country, well, what does that do to our personal mortgages? What does that do to our ability to to conduct business. So, you you know, I know it's popular with some people to just say, oh, it's a heck with it, stick it to the (laughs) banks. That won't, that will not work. 
No, but I don't know if they should sit down and uh, uh, rewrite history, but somewhere something went terribly wrong when uh, from 1960, from a, a deficit of uh, a, a couple of billion dollars that they're up to well, uh, $1.3 trillion and the gross domestic product is only $2 trillion in the country. I believe that Pierre Trudeau inherited uh, – <laughs> this is a familiar story. I believe that Pierre Trudeau inherited a small surplus when he took over, but he took over from Lester Pearson. It was either small surplus or small deficit, one way or the other. It was not big either way. And then he came in and he promised a, a small – deficit to stimulate economic growth. And you know what happened, Bernie? We never went back until that that small deficit grew and grew and grew, and we didn't get rid of deficit spending until the mid-90s. So before I was born, until I was an adult, and that is the reason that we've got the huge national debt today. We're still paying for social programs from the 70s, and I don't think that's fair to anyone. And And it robs us of Infrastructure spending today it robs us of social program spending today it robs all of us. I think I think like uh, I'm saying it crosses all party lines, but uh, I think uh, that the stewards of our economy over the last twenty thirty years have done a piss poor job of I, management. I, I'd have if to I agree. If I did that in my own life, I'd be bankrupt. Exactly. Thanks for the call, yeah. Bernie. Let's go to Greg and Russell. You're calling in about Kathleen Wynn. Yes, well, first off with Bernie, that's right. Just wait till little Pierre gets finished. You don't think we're bankrupt yet? Uh, it's You know, the, the Ontario and the federal government are just increasing deficit spending, and, and that's not healthy for any economy. No. Um, with uh, Kevin Vickers there, yeah, Justin should discipline him by bringing him home putting a medal on him, having a national uh, Kevin Vickers Day, and asking him, <laughs> would you like maybe Bermuda as a nice place? You he, know, to, Kevin you know. Vickers picked Ireland. Oh, did he? Well, then, I, yeah, I, I well, am... keep him there. Keep him there. He made every Canadian proud, I think. He didn't manhandle the guy. He just pulled him <laughs> off to the side. Isn't that funny that Justin Trudeau might discipline Kevin Vickers for manhandling somebody? Well, he's seen what a man does. Well, he was manhandling Gord Brown. Yeah, well, well, yeah. And elbowing Ruth Ellen Brosseau. Yeah, well, somebody were to stand up and accidentally elbow Sophie, what Justin would say if he went, if I hurt somebody accidentally. Anyways, now on uh, Kathleen Wine, that's the only uh, card she has left to play is, uh, well, because I'm a woman. Uh, She knows she's in a government that's done. Um, This carbon thing, you know, I've been beating that around. You know what? I finally it come to me. They finally figured out how to tax everybody for every breath we're taking. Yep. Um, Because they're going to tax it. With Kathleen, I'm sure it's like a little um, uh, gambling machine. It would come up gold bars. Ooh, tax money. You think any of it's ever going to go to help any any oh, carbon problem? Not a bit. Should we not be on the world stage saying, hey, all our trees, if I remember right, does not the average tree suck up one ton of carbon every year? So should the world not be sending Canada a whole pile of money for all our trees that are helping us suck all this in? Well, let's try and work it that way. Unfortunately, the way it is going to uh, work is that we're going to pay. We we paid under the Conservatives. We'll pay under the Liberals. Everyone's bought into this. 
and we're paying into the global green funds. Greg, got to run. Thanks for the call. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility, or email me, beyondthenews, at CFRA.com. Be Lil, here till 2. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News with you for the next few hours. 521-TALK, 521-8255, star 580 on Bell Mobility. Gloria in Ottawa. Gloria, are you going to tell me that Kathleen Wynne is wrong? Are you sexist and do you hate women as well? Oh, of course I do, according to, to her definition of it. But you know what? I'll tell you something. I feel that she has got visions of grandeur about, her, about herself. And anyone who would dare question her decisions is anti-female and sexist. It doesn't matter uh, if you're a female yeah. or not. You're automatically it's the same that. kind of card that Hillary Clinton plays <laughs> in the U.S. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. I just looked over at my TV screen and happened to see Hillary. Um, and you can criticize her on policy. Well, you're sexist. No, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I really I, I don't care if the premier is a man or a woman. I care if they're if they have good policies. Exactly. And you know, it, I find that she's, she's making uh, ill-thought-out, rash decisions. And these, have, these decisions of hers, uh, they have far-reaching, disastrous effects on every part of our economy. And she's going to plunge us into bankruptcy. You know, I mean, take, for example, natural gas. First of all, she's banning the use of natural gas in Ontario. Then a few days later, she flip-flops. And she says, oh, no, she, she does, she's denying her own words. And she's saying, oh, no, she's not banning the use after all. I mean, she can't make decisions. And I, to be honest with you, I don't think she's mentally capable of running this province. And she, you know, she should resign. I mean, that's the uh, sky. I would not say that, Gloria. I what? would say that she has the wrong policies. She's wrong on the issues. She's wrong on the policies. She is sticking to um, sticking to her plans, she's sticking to her ideology, even when it doesn't work. Well, well, okay, I question her. I mean, she, she's, she's coming out with these, these enormous decisions that have such far-reaching effects, and then a few days later, she's, she's uh, changing her mind. I mean, to me, that, there's no stability in, well, in, be, in that. Because she's being pushed back by the public who's saying, wait a minute, you want to get us off natural gas to go on... Electricity? That's crazy. Mm-hmm. That's why she's changing her mind. I well, don't she... want her to keep the, the this crazy plan, but Glenn Murray, from my understanding, Glenn Murray is still pushing it. Well, the, the thing is this. You, you can't decide one day one thing and one, one uh, day next. Oh, no, no, I didn't mean that. I actually meant this. But, her well, decision-making is, is uh, non-existent. If you criticize her policies... It's because she's a woman. Gloria, thanks for the call. Thank you. Christine in Ottawa, you're on Beyond the News. Uh, you're calling in about Kevin Vickers, but I have to ask you about Kathleen Wynne first. Does it cheapen real discrimination that women face when she pulls the gender card like that over a po- policy disagreement? Well, I think um, she's intimidated when people stand up to her that um we all have to kind of knuckle under and uh, accept what she and uh, our prime minister are saying instead of trying to use our brains and the information to actually think about things. And if we're distracted by things and a busy life, we tend to just oh, accept them as they come. 
but I'm glad for CFRA because it makes us stop and think. Well, thank you for that. That's part of the goal. Entertain you, but also help you think. Exactly. Kevin Vickers, though. What did you think when you saw the video of Kevin Vickers grabbing that guy when all these armed gentlemen, all these police officers and military folks are just standing watching? Well, I w- I, first of all, I'd have to agree that he probably did react on instinct and in his training. Mm-hmm. But he also appears to be a man of integrity and uh, a good good moral compass. I, I used to see him on a regular basis. Some, you know, it, it seemed like daily sometimes because when my office was in center block, when I was reporting for uh, a bunch of Bell Media stations uh, elsewhere in the country from Parliament Hill, my office was right above his. Yes. And so I would come down the stairs and regularly bump into him and he just seemed like a big gentle giant, but not somebody you wanted to mess with because I, I, I'm 6'2". And I think he's bigger than me. But uh, doesn't that show the the quality of the man? Well, he has respect for others as well as himself. And he took it upon himself to think, okay, we don't know what the danger may be with this person, but let's try and um, defuse it as best as possible. He didn't attack the man. No, he he got him out of there. And I think if the liberals are... Oh, trying to whip up this kerfuffle into anything, it's because they are threatened by his actions. It shows their ineptitude, their lack of leadership. And as far as the people saying about the next election, people have to start thinking now before the next election. Otherwise, we're going to be in dire straits. Thanks for the call, Christine. Thank you, Brian. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. We've got a break for business and news at the bottom of the hour. Back with more of your calls. 521-TALK, 521-8255. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Give it to me, I'm worth it. Oh, yeah. It's always this song gets me chair dancing. It's not a pretty sight, I'll tell you. It's a good thing this is radio and not the TV. Face for radio. That's below. Been asking you about Kathleen Wynne, and uh, Jamie reminds me of a few points when he emails. And if you want to email me, it's beyondthenews at CFRA.com. He writes, just a couple of points. Wynne called anyone that criticized the liberal refugee plan racist including Ujjal Dessange. He was not amused. She claimed that there was systematic racism in the Toronto Police Force in April of this year. She called parents and protesters that were opposed to her sex ed policies homophobic. She called Monty McNaughton homophobic because he was opposed to her sex ed curriculum. So calling people who oppose her policies' names is her default position. Definitely true on that. And it's an awful position. Yeah, if someone actually is a racist or a misogynist or a bigot of some kind, fine, call them out. But when someone critiques your policies and your default position is to call them names, that shows that you don't have a leg to stand on. You don't have a defense. Because if you had a defense, you would explain, well, no, they are misguided and this policy is working because ABC. But Kathleen Wynne can't do that because her policies for the energy market, the energy system in Ontario 
have been a disaster from beginning to end. And every time there's a report, you want to talk sexist, Bob Shirelli. Firebob.ca, by the way, firebob.ca, if you want to sign our petition there. Bob Shirelli turns around and dismisses the Auditor General, Bonnie Lysak, as, you know, she just can't understand the energy system. It's, you know, it's a bit too complex for her. I mean, what would she know? She's just an auditor who has a, an MBA and maybe worked at Manitoba Hydro for a decade. And, uh, yeah. So, you know, if she wants to go searching out sexism, tell her to check her own cabinet. Tell her to look around the Liberal caucus. But she won't do that. So let's criticize Derek Fildbrand. Let's, you know, and I know this is Alberta politics and most of the people listening right now are in the Ottawa Valley. But the fact that Brian Jean threw Derek Fildbrand out of caucus over this immediately, I mean, Fildbrand didn't even get a chance to apologize. He responds to a comment on Facebook on Friday. He's thrown out Friday. Doesn't even get a chance to say, sorry, that's not what I intended. That was a mistake. No, none of that. He's just thrown out. Why? Because once again, a liberal says something and conservatives tuck tail and run. Just like Patrick Brown did with Jack McLaren. Was Jack's joke stupid? Yes. And no politician, no elected official should be standing up. I don't care if it's a men's night. You don't stand up and say a joke like that. Not in public. You can't do that. I'm not sure if there ever was a time you could do that. But conservatives, when liberals cluck, conservatives go, oh, 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 sorry, sorry. Oh, let's discipline our people. Meanwhile... Kathleen Wynne has in her office someone that was under investigation and should have been charged, in my view, because the audio recording's clear, with trying to bribe a candidate. Hmm. She's got people under police investigation that keep their jobs. But conservatives will throw people out of their caucus for saying something that might on social media that might offend someone. It's truly bizarre. Ken in Prescott, you're on Beyond the News. Yeah, just uh, here's... Here's the first thing. Trump, the first thing he said, that uh, Clinton's going to use her uh, as a woman to, uh, you know, so he couldn't pick on her. Well, that didn't that didn't happen. But the thing is... Oh, she's going to play that card again yeah, and again. And, yeah, and she'll keep playing it, but it it's not going to work now because Trump stopped it right off the bat. Now, the thing that I want to say is the reason why this country and every other country is in trouble is when they went to the green energy... Windmills don't work. Solar panels don't work. Oh, but the premier tells us they do, Ken. Oh. And if you disagree with her, you are obviously a misogynist. Look at look at all the countries that are in problems with their finances. These are the ones that went head over heels for this global warming crap, and they just keep doing it and keep doing doing it because they signed these contracts. And I think somebody's getting paid. There's something very wrong there, but nobody's going to take enough guts to go and uh, dig it out and uh, prove that somebody was getting paid. Like when a person goes to Korea and signs these big contracts, uh, that's how they work over there. 
that Fiberman or whatever his name was. Phil DeBrand, yeah. Yeah, yeah, from Toronto. He just came back the next day, and here we are with all this stuff that doesn't work. And uh, that's why we're most countries are in trouble because there's has to keep filling these contracts out that they signed, and there's no way they can get about it unless they can find out if something did somebody did get paid off, then they could cancel all the contracts. But there's too many liberals who's got businesses from this. Well, I know lots of people have been looking for evidence of payoffs, and it's just that nobody's found one. Well. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It's just nobody's found one yet. I think we need a politician like, uh, who is that fellow that's running there who, uh, he's going to run uh, uh, O'Grady or? O'Leary? O'Leary. O'Leary agrees with liberals on everything except finances. Well, that's the main thing, isn't it? The finances to get this country out of uh, trouble? I don't know about that, Ken. I don't know, but I'm starting to think uh, I know Trump's going to win, and I hope he does because he's going to change the whole set down in the States. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Bye. Our regular Trump booster, Ken, in Prescott. Let's go to Dolores in Ottawa. Dolores, I know you're calling in about Kevin Vickers, one of the other topics I've thrown out there, but I have to ask you, um, Kathleen Wynne playing the gender card. What, what do you make of that? I think she's the biggest hypocrite that I've ever seen in government, and it has nothing to do with being a woman. What a uh, she was at a loss for words, perhaps, when she brought that up. But uh, she'll use anything and anybody. So I, I don't have any faith in anything that woman will ever say or do. I I think she's the second worst thing that's ever happened to Ontario. The and what, worst, what what was the worst? Uh, McGinty, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian, before Ken, the last caller, you gave a rundown on things that are happening in current events, you know, with the... Uh, and I do appreciate that very much in your in your program because I listen to you all the time, and so does my sister. We are devoted to you. (laughs) Thank you. But I wanted to say about Kevin Vickers, I did have a discussion with someone I'm very, very fond of, but we disagreed. She said he should have waited for the police or security to intervene, etc., and also made a comment, perhaps even on the Hill, but I say no. Well, he, on the Hill, he was the sergeant at arms. The yes. police all report to the sergeant at arms. Good. So I, def- I, I forgot to point that out because if one of the uh, armed guards were around that close, they would have done the very same thing. And his behavior at this function with grabbing this man and pulling him away Heaven knows, what if the man had a bomb? The IRA have been known for it, and a gun. They're not exactly active anymore, but but it it is something that would have to be considered. And it was was used frequently. Not Mm -hmm. in our time, but it certainly was. So I'm very glad he grabbed a hold of him, got him away from the crowd, and... 
Quite possibly. Let us say he did have a weapon. He probably saved more lives. And the very idea of calling him back because of that, I think is ridiculous. What would that little pipsqueak have done if he was there? You know who I mean. Yeah. Nightclub bouncer? Well, uh, I, look, <laughs> if after what he did last week, he turns around and tries to uh, discipline Kevin yes. Vickers for manhandling someone, yes. well, then he's going to have to discipline himself, wouldn't you say, Dolores? Oh, there's no such thing as discipline in the Trudeau bloodstream. But if you if you saw the picture that I saw of them arriving in Japan, he and uh, his wife, they're marching down the red carpet. The Japanese Guard of Honor are standing there in tribute in, to him. And he's turned around looking at her, and she's looking at him. You know that old love profile look they're kind of mm-hmm. all the time. It's so disgusting. He doesn't know protocol or... It's all about him, and we're in a very bad way. Thank, thanks for the I, call, Dolores. Oh, sorry, you have one more point? Yes. I don't think he's going to uh, spend his time as a PM. I give it two years tops before he resigns and quits. Well, I'd like that, but I'm not sure it's going to happen. But if it does, you call back and tell me, told you so. I will indeed. Thanks. thanks. Thanks for the call, Dolores. Let's go to Michael in Cape Breton. Michael, you're on Beyond the News. How you doing today, Brian? Very well. Yourself? Good. It's a good discussion you got going this morning. I think if you put the Liberals all in the same pot, uh, it won't be very long before the bond markets own the whole country. I, I heard uh, Paul Martin on a, a video that I was watching. He said, well, you know, we got to give up our sovereignty. When they, when they gave... Uh, our right as a country to print their own money away to the private banks and the bond market, well, that sort of sealed their fate. Pretty soon we're going to be dancing to the tone of that German company that prints our money now. Everybody thinks it's printed at the Mint, but it's not. I was watching that documentary. That's printed over in Germany, our our currency, and the liberals give that up. Really? I, I didn't know that. Well, I did. I did. I just watched the doc a bit. Google Canada bought and sold if you want to get educated on what happened to this country. But uh, I think right now to get out of our national debt, they said it'll cost us to sell them off of four provinces right now just to break even on our national debt. And if it keeps going on and on like they're gorging at the trough now, Trudeau and them traveling all over the world, they should cut all those per diems off them. And make them use technology. Now, instead of them flying here and flying there, make them go on Facebook and those things and communicate that way. And they got to start and get rid of that Senate, too. Why the rat is? That's $100 billion, $100 million a year. It costs us for that. they got to start showing a little bit of austerity within their own house and show the people of this country that they care about this country and not selling it out to the monetary. Well, I, I'm not sure that uh, cutting off their per diems would solve the problem. Well, it won't. The but only it, way we're it, going to solve you know, it might problem, help a bit, though. The only way we're going to solve our problems, get a right back to print our own money again, if it's not too late already. All right. Thanks for the call, All Michael. Later. Interesting discussion. I'll have to look that up about where our money is actually printed. I'm not sure that it makes a difference in the the um, the value of the currency. I'm not sure that it makes a difference in terms of how our economy is going. But 
we've got Canada Banknote Company uh, here in Ottawa. I, I thought that's where our money was printed. I know they print money for other countries, I believe. Uh, but, hmm, interesting points. I'm Brian Lilly. This is uh, Beyond the News. We'll be back with uh, wrap up this section of the program. Coming up later, we'll be uh, hearing from Jason Kenney and uh, some of what he and I discussed about at the Conservative Convention. We'll bring you some other audio from the convention as well. And, uh, of course, Dean Brown, play-by-play of the Ottawa Senators, and trying to get a hold of Councillor Rick Shirelli because he's got thoughts on this playground. You're not going to hear from other people. Valuable thoughts on why it went down the way it did and why we need to take power back from staff at City Hall. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. On News Talk 580 CFRA. And I think the attack, the, um, the viciousness of the attack, yeah. had a particular quality to it. Right. So I will just say we need to pay attention to that. Right. Oh, Kathleen Wynne whining about being attacked. Viciously attacked. Because she's a woman. This is the cheap ploy that she uses. I'm just going to end this segment. We'll move on after the top of the hour, but I want to end this segment talking about the cheapness of her accusation. The fact that it holds no water. Did Derek Fildebrand, a man that I've known for many years, did he stand up and denounce Premier Wynne because she is a woman when he made his critique in the the Alberta legislature, did he stand up and say, she can't run the province because she's a woman? No. He stood up and critiqued the policies that she has implemented, pointed out the problems that they have delivered to the people of Ontario, not the solutions, but the problems that her policies have delivered to the people of Ontario, and then asked his own premier, who is very close with Premier Wynne, are you going to are you going to bring those policies to Alberta? And if so, why? Let, let's listen to the vicious attack once again. Mr. Speaker, today Alberta welcomed Ontario's Liberal Premier Kathleen Wynne to the Legislative Assembly. While I'm sure their talk session was valuable, we aren't sure what benefit Albertans can get from Ontario's emissions plan. For power consumers, it's meant skyrocketing power bills, mm-hmm. massive subsidies to unprofitable initiatives, and Auditor General's reports into billions of wasted tax dollars. A few months ago, our Premier praised the Ontario plan. Is the Premier still endorsing this plan? And if so, what part does she think will benefit Albertans? We don't need to hear the response from Alberta Premier Rachel Notley. But that is probably the most vicious question that Derek Fildebrandt asked. Yes, he called Ontario a basket case. Guess what? So do plenty of people in Ontario. So do the bond uh, markets that keep downgrading Ontario's debt. They keep downgrading Ontario's credit uh, rating. Do they all do it because they're sexist? Kathleen Wynne only has one way to respond, and that's to claim that you have some type of phobia or some type of ism, and that is the reason for your critiques. No, Miss Wynn, no, Premier. We're just critiquing you because you're wrong. Time to move on. Time to defend yourself. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News.
back in moments. This is Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Follow the outrage on Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Give it to me, I'm worth it. The chair dancing continues, dancing on the other end of the phone line, Faith Goldie, the sixth member of Fifth Harmony, by the way. Faith. I didn't take I didn't take you for a top 40s kind of guy, B. <laughs> oh, I am into uh, all kinds of, that, that is just such a catchy song though, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. If that's your thing, go for it. <laughs> Did not bring Faith Goldie on from the Rebel.media to talk about uh, pop music and chair dancing. Um, actually... No, we were out at a lot of events together. There was no dancing at the conservative, well, not at the events that we were at, but uh, Faith was one of my partners in crime on the weekend mm-hmm. at uh, at the conservative convention. And Faith, I wanted to bring you on because if you listen to the media party narrative, what happened on the weekend is that social conservatives were abandoned, that the conservatives took this big step to the center, that they were embracing things they never did before. You know, you and I were there. Did you see any radical change on the weekend? Uh, Yeah, I did, actually. But I would say that it virtually all worked out in the social conservative favor. Outside of the motion to walk away from the traditional definition of marriage. Which, um, which, let's face it, this is the one that the media party is mostly talking about. Right. it, it, It went back to, what, 2003 or so that the party had adopted that marriage in in the the party's position was that marriage was between one man and one woman and no one has revisited that policy since then even though that was the law back then right and not to mention the fact that the motion that struck down the traditional definition of marriage it also had the addition of of enshrining a protection for religious organizations so i don't think it was a lopsided move for the party it was one that says hey we have to bring our party's constitution and values in line with canadian law but we are also going to underscore our own support of religious uh, communities and and freedom of conscience although i would have liked to see the word the individual uh in there whereas this motion only really pr- protects organizations but quite apart from 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 the same sex marriage stuff, um, we saw three huge wins for the social conservative movement from the party convention floor. Number one, um, an amendment to the party's constitution, with our, which articulated a belief in the value and dignity of all human life. That's a pretty big move for a lot of pro-lifers out there. I, I, you're at the- I would say so. Yeah. Second one, and this one is not only, I'd say, a win for uh, the pro-life movement on either side, um, but it it also was a bit of history in the making. Um, The party uh, voted to condemn gender-selective abortion, and it actually used the term abortion. Now, Brian, why is this important? Before, what did the motion say, or or what did the policy say? Uh, it, 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 the word abortion was not in there. So it was gender selection. You know, um, we, we condemn that sort of stuff from happening. But by actually inserting the word abortion into the motion, um, what the Conservative Party did it for the first time in its history, as well as any federal parties 
um, history in, in this country is, is condemn abortion by name. That's never happened before. So those two kind of pro-life things, as well as um, an, an inclusion of the articulation of support for doctors' conscious rights. Of course, this is now in the news um, with uh, C-14 and euthanasia and doctor-assisted suicides on tap. Um, these are three huge motions that were passed, the constitutional amendment, you know. So I, I don't buy into the media party's hype of, you know, the SOCON has been abandoned in the Conservative Party of Canada 2016 version. Uh, huge wins going on, and we're seeing a groundswell, an actual um, political change happening in a non-absolutist way. So I think it's fair-minded. That's why they're, they're passing with, with uh, double majorities in some uh, circumstances, because it, your even non-pro-lifer conservative can stomach these sorts of amendments because it makes sense. Yeah, we do value human life. Yeah, we do think that saying I'm going to have an abortion just because it's a girl is un-Canadian. And, you know, regardless of what the law is, if you're a doctor who for conscious or, or religious reasons don't, don't want to make a referral for uh, doctor-assisted suicide, you should be afforded that right in the great country of Canada. So I think it, it was a happy medium where it could find majority support while at the same time, yeah, gaining ground for the SOCON. But yet the narrative is, is the opposite. And, you know, I've been hearing people talk about this nonstop, that, it, you know, that we, it was a, a great move to the left. The party's modernizing itself. To me, on, on, on the marriage amendment that they passed this weekend, it's acknowledging this little thing that I like to call reality. Yeah. I, forget Paul Martin passing uh, the, the, the changes to the Marriage Act in uh, 2005. The change really happened due to the courts in 2003. So this has been going on for 13 years, and I don't know why some people were saying that this is a horrible thing and you've got to fight it and so on. You cannot put that genie back in the bottle. Right. And I think that regardless of where you're coming from, um, there's a way to uphold the law and ensure that the Charter of Rights and Freedoms uh, applies to all. There is no um, a prioritization of rights. It's not that, you know, uh, the gay man or woman who wishes to marry their partner is their, that their right is, is bigger than mine right to freedom of religion and conscience. So that's why I do think that it was, while not perfect, a pretty balanced motion, which is to say we acknowledge the law, but we also want to uh, make clear that, you know, there's not going to be a time in our conceivable history where we're not where we're going to be telling Catholic priests you have to be ordaining same-sex unions. That That's not in our history. There's a way that we can allow the same-sex couple to enjoy the same uh, rights and freedoms as all other Canadians, while at the same time not depriving uh, other Canadians from their rights and freedoms. But I will say, with, with, with the mainstream media's narrative right now of the SOCON who has been abandoned, um, there is some danger in that. And I'll tell you why. If you are a card-carrying conservative who also identifies as a social conservative, um, a lot of folks who follow politics know that SOCONs are so important as a pillar to the conservative party. There were several, there were several of them elected to the party's national council this weekend. That's right. They're, they're, they're important at the top brass, but they're also extremely important at the grassroots, especially when it comes to door knocking season. These guys know they've got lists. They know which doors to knock on and they are very energetic. They're willing to go on, you know, hop on a bus and travel for six, seven hours to Ottawa just to go to, to stand in the, the, the March for Life, right? So what I worry about is, if again, you are a card-carrying uh, conservative, that there are going to be a lot of people out there, Brian, who don't hear this narrative where, hey, so cons, you've made wins. They're only going to hear the Conservative Party of 2016 doesn't care about you anymore. They're going in different directions. See Michelle Rempel for more. Um, so 
I, I worry that those people will then become somewhat lethargic in their party uh, involvement and will say, well, you know what, if these guys don't really stand for me, so why should I be door knocking for them? Yeah, I've uh, I've heard it said that Stephen Harper did nothing for social conservatives while he was uh, prime minister. I actually disagree with that. Now, well, why cla- do you say that? Because I think I, I I think I would almost agree. With well, that. Why, he, why do you disagree? He clamped down on on, on uh, discussing abortion, and I think that was wrong. We have to have full yep. and open debate in the country. But he uh, he did not. The, the liberals were considering moving legislation. I remember asking Erwin Kotler, who was justice minister back in the day, about moving forward on euthanasia, and he said that they were open to it. That was before Stephen Harper came in. So he didn't do a lot to move the yardsticks in favor, but he held ground. So Mm -hmm. on things like euthanasia or the maternal and child health initiative, which is widely welcomed in the uh, nonprofit world, the NGO world around the globe, uh, he didn't say, let's save mothers, you know, let's help mothers survive childbirth and help kids get to six. He didn't say let's do that by funding Planned Parenthood to go around the world right. and perform more abortions. So he he wasn't overt in his support, but he did many things to to staunch uh, or to hold ground. I, 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 I buy that argument. His maternal health from a foreign policy standpoint was certainly, I mean, sound and, and beat a lot of his predecessors. But I do think that he squandered a majority in the eyes of many so-cons, which is to say what? With Prime Minister Trudeau, you see that in his first six, seven months, he's already looking at massive institutional change um, of, you know, reforming our electoral system without even consulting the Canadian people, um, which is which tells me that he's going to play it uh, with a, a little bit of testicular fortitude in the, in the early while. He might scale it down as we go closer towards our next election in three and a half years. But Stephen Harper played it too safe. Um, oh, in hopes Probably of, of securing another majority. And so, uh, I mean, I would have loved to see gender selective abortion. Um, I think that is a common restrictive uh, restriction on abortion that the majority of Canadians can get behind or, you know, no abortions after six months. You know, I, I've I've commissioned polls on this issue. I've studied polls on this issue. Canadians have a, a mixed view uh, on, on the life issue. They 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 don't want abortion banned, but they do want some restrictions. And they're right. in various polls. I've seen it as high as uh, north of fifty percent saying, "I don't like my money going towards this." Right. So well, I, I I think there's room. Uh, obviously, there's still liberals, a, a shrinking number that think there's room for discussion on this. And maybe one day we'll have grown-up discussions without uh, the the pundits on Parliament Hill screaming, we can't talk about this, even though they're the ones that bring it up every single time. You know what? The grown-up conversation is only going to come if both sides uh, agree to play fair. Uh, The pro-life stance cannot be absolutist. That's what we've been for the past 40-plus years. I wanted to ask you about that. We had a big event for Rebel supporters in Vancouver and uh, met many listeners from CFRA there. And it was just a great event, but you you were passionate about this, that it, it can't be an absolutist uh, uh, stand anymore. Right. So personally speaking, from a moral standpoint, I am a, a devout and outed Catholic. Uh, I am an absolutist in my personal life. But when we get into p- uh, public policy, uh, there is no room for that. And we see that that has been the approach that's been taken for the past 40 plus years since the Morgan Toller ruling at the Supreme Court of Canada, which uh, essentially legalized abortion. Um, and, and we have gained zero ground. Uh, to date, there are still no laws 
on Canadian books with respect to abortion, which means that it is legal during any time, uh, for any reason, during all nine months of gestation. So the absolutist uh, view has not worked from a policymaking uh, process. When the polling has been done across the board, you see over 50% from liberals, NDPs, conservatives, and millennials who favor some sort of restrictions on abortions. I think the majority of Canadians understand that during all nine months for any reason is a little bit out there. Um, the question now is about getting into the fine tuning. Okay, so what, what can we be, what can we stomach? Is it the gender selection? Is it after six months? Um, and so we need to start talking about, about the fine print. Uh, and that's the only way that I think both sides can be happy and we can have a smarter, healthier public policy going forward in this country. Faith, great talking as always. Thanks, Pete. Take care. All right. You want to find out more from Faith Goldie, you can find her on the rebel.media and her Twitter handle is at Faith Goldie. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. To you, he's rebellious. To official Ottawa, he's disdainfully insubordinate. You're listening to Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Just want to revisit this for a little while. Justin Trudeau hired a nanny under the temporary foreign workers program. This is before he was liberal leader, but he was still an elected MP. He hired a nanny from outside the country through the temporary foreign workers program. John Iveson, writing in National Post, uh, says that an access to information inquiry into whether Trudeau or his wife, Sophie Gregoire Trudeau, had ever sought a labor market opinion, the first move for anyone looking to hire foreign workers, was refused on privacy grounds. But Olivier Deschenaux, Trudeau's deputy director of communications, confirmed that the prime minister and his wife had applied to bring two nannies into the country. Here's the quote from Mr. Deschenaux. Mr. Trudeau and Ms. Gregoire Trudeau submitted one successful application of the Temporary Foreign Worker Program for a caregiver prior to Mr. Trudeau becoming leader of the Liberal Party. Employment with this individual ceased before Mr. Trudeau became leader of the party. He said a second application was made but was later withdrawn and did not go through the process. The two nannies that are working with the Trudeaus now are both apparently either citizens or um, permanent residents. I believe they are both uh, from the Philippines and immigrated here. That's fine. It's neither here nor there. The issue is Justin Trudeau's comments on the Temporary Foreign Workers Program when it became an issue about how horrible it is for Canadian workers. Mr. Speaker, the government has allowed the Temporary Foreign Workers Program to become a force that drives down wages across the country and takes advantage of vulnerable people from abroad. He has doubled the intake of temporary foreign workers since taking office. So will the Prime Minister now commit to significant reductions in the size of this broken program? Oh, a broken program that he was all too happy to use so that he could get cheaper labor to look after his family. He doesn't have to worry about it being cheaper labor now because you can't get cheaper than free. We're all paying for it. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Coming up, Dean Brown, play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Senators as the Stanley Cup Finals get underway. Every revolution starts with a rebel. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. 
A little groovy Stanley Cup music, a little hockey night in Canada music. Because it's time to talk to Dean Brown. And, you know, Dean, for political nerds like me, election night is just, woo! This has this is your version, I suppose, uh, but one of seven, perhaps. Yes. Yeah, I guess technically it is. But I think what you have to remember, though, Brian, is that uh, those of us who work in the hockey world also view things like elections as fantastic things, too. So... I don't think you can limit. I I, I get all wound oh, I, up for elections. I, I would never limit you, Dean. You're you are uh, beyond a sports broadcaster, an old time broadcaster with various interests. Yes, and I don't. No, I don't want to stress old time too much, though. Yeah, no, you old with a capital O. There's no question about that. But no, for example, no one is enjoying this uh, this American election more than me. It is fantastic theater. <gasps> oh, and it's only going to get better. Trust. I know. Me. It, Bad, it, you know isn't it? Just watching uh, earlier on, uh, you know, there's always a CTV channel on in this room for some reason and uh yeah hillary clinton showing up on the view uh trying to appear human they're both trying to show that they're not these caricatures of themselves and um there's a there's a different there's a different narrative i know we're going to get to hockey but the, yeah. the thing that i enjoy is is the different narrative each day and how absolutely incredibly short the memory is uh, seemingly of the American electorate. Uh, electorate. I, I particularly enjoyed yesterday watching Donald Trump making all these promises to the thousands of adoring veterans. The veterans apparently seemingly have forgotten that Donald Trump himself was a draft dodger, number one. And number two, <laughs> one of the first people that he slimed when he started running was a legitimate war hero and former POW. That's one of the first guys he insulted and demeaned. It, 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 it absolutely amazes me. And then thousands of them are clapping for well, him. I, it, find it, it, I find it hilarious. And, and this is where uh, in this particular election cycle, it is a lot like sports because it is down to teams and it doesn't matter what the other person's done. You're cheering for the guy that wears your color. And, you know, you, you can go through both of them and go, well, they did this, they did this, they did that. And their fans are just going to say, doesn't matter. I cheer for Hillary. I cheer for Donald. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Well, the one the one thing I would say, the one caveat I would say, being you know I have so much time, I watch a lot of CNN. I think if you look at the uh, the likability factor of both these candidates, I think it's this might low. be the first election where it really is is not what you're talking about. It's the opposite. They are just so against the other person, they will literally well, vote for anybody. Let's I, face it, there's never been a more flawed candidate than Donald Trump, but people hate the other option so much they're willing to consider it. I, I believe the polling number from Ipsos last week was 51% of Trump voters are voting for him because they don't like Hillary. Uh, the number of people voting for Hillary because they don't like Trump was just below 50%. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I mean, that's... Fact, Fascinating, uh, fascinating cycle. It is. Uh, tonight is game one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Thornton is facing what could be his last attempt to ho- hoist the Stanley Cup. I'll learn to talk later after the mm-hmm. show. Uh, so this is, I mean, I, I can't imagine the butterflies going through his stomach. Four wins possibly or ending a career without a Stanley Cup win. Yeah. You know, when people we talked about this last week, when people talk about Crosby, they can say, well, this might be his last chance. But you're right. It's different because Crosby has been to a final twice and he's already won a cup. Now, it hasn't been any time in the last little while, but he's already won a cup. 
you're right for Joe Thornton. He has, at his age, also has to be looking at how many more chances will I get? Odds are, if you look at the odds, just the mathematics of it, the odds are he won't get another chance. And so you're right. It's it's impossible to assume that this is not something that he thinks about, you know, every every day leading up to the start, you know, leading up to tonight's start of the final. And as much as people always want to assess pressure, for some reason in our business, you know who's got the more who has more pressure on them? Who's the you know, you know the window for Pittsburgh if they don't do it now during the Crosby Malkin years when you know there's all these different pressure points that all of us in our business want to assess which are the pressure points that that really matter most and to be honest with you um, there's always going to be individual pressure but it's a team sport so being able to individually do something about that pressure and being individually able to change a game in a series is exceedingly rare and even more well, rare now in today's game. And, and it, it all depends on when it comes to pressure, how you handle it. I mean, the, you and I have both worked with people that do not handle pressure well, and then there's others who always rise to the occasion. I'm guessing, you know, to make it to this level, Thornton and Crosby can handle the sort of pressure. But what about the rest of the teammates? Well, but you know, who's, not so who's fast, going to don't... crack? No, yeah. Don't yeah, don't you can't jump to saying they're used. You know, Joe Thornton has won some things. He's been a part of teams that won some things, but that is one of the questions about his career, Brian. That that is one of the questions. How a player who has been this good and this good a regular season player, how he has never been able to elevate his game to be able to lead a team, good teams, to the Stanley Cup final and eventually to the Stanley Cup. There have been people in our business who wonder out loud, can he handle pressure? Is there a reason why he can play at such a high level during the regular season but cannot ratchet it up like great players can in the playoffs and lead his team? So there is a debate about whether Joe Thornton can play under pressure because, you know, in the international tournaments that he has won, gold medals, he by and large has not been the linchpin player that has led that team to a victory. You know, in the Olympics, he was not the star player. He, you know, so that that actually is a question about Joe Thornton. How does he react to the pressure? Can he elevate his game and lead his team? Oh, okay. That I did not know. See, yeah. you teach me, Dean. You teach me. Uh, or I just might have made that up. You know, you don't know. <laughs> we uh, we've been talking off and on about injuries, and the players are in and out. You've got uh, Matt Nieto with the Sharks coming back in, but then you've got Daly for uh, the, the Penguins saying, I'm uh, not sure. Uh, yeah. w- what, what's the whole injured list like right now for, for these two teams? Well, the first thing you have to understand about injured lists is don't bother looking at them because no one at this time of year is going to be truthful about what their injury is, how close they are to playing, or whether they're not going to play. With Trevor Daly, last week he was on crutches. So... The odds of him playing again, you'd have to think, are not strong. But the fact of the matter is there have been lots of guys uh, who have looked like they're not playing, and then all of a sudden they pop back into the the roster, and then you find out after they played four games in the final, you know, they had surgery a week after the season ended. So the the things that players will be willing to try to play with um, are things that a lot of times people would never try to play with, but it's the Stanley Cup final, and that's the way hockey players are. Uh, one thing I do know from doing this for 24 years, the chances of getting a straight answer from anybody about an injury <laughs> are uh, are next to zero. Everyone's just uh, hedging, right? Well, you know what? The, we we kind of laugh about it, and it, it it's not like he was the only guy. But there used to be the 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 Scotty Bowman protocol because there was always this joke when he was coaching in Detroit, especially during the playoffs. And uh, I I know this once from talking with Steve Eisman, who I, I know a little bit. 
um, Steve, uh, during one playoff series. Um, it was called the three-foot Scotty Bowman rule because Scotty would tell the media, well, you know, the guy's been dealing with a shoulder injury. Our trainers are taping it. He's trying to play through it. Then after the playoffs are over, you find out his shoulder was fine. He had a bad knee. You know, so it was a three-foot rule. The idea was whatever Scotty said or implied that it was, the real injury was likely three feet away. So, and that was that was. But, true but that's brilliant. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you could, sure. if they do have a bad knee but they're going to play through it. You don't want the other team knowing. You don't want them taking hits. I'm not necessarily saying dirty hits, but maybe. Uh, You don't want them taking taking It's kind of entertaining watching young reporters talking about how refreshing it was that a veteran coach was willing to talk about injuries. They had no clue that what he was telling you was a complete and total fabrication. Oh, man. Uh, Let's handicap the, uh, the matchup tonight. Who, um, who, who's got the edge when it comes to, to goaltending so vital in any game, never mind a series, who, well, who do you give the edge to here? Well, that's going to be a, to- a coin toss because you got two young guys who've never been in this situation before. In the case of Pittsburgh, their guy is 21 years old, and the only reason they played him is because the other guy, Jeff Zatkoff, earlier they didn't, you know, this is a guy who also had no experience. So, uh, you know, he's, he, you know, Murray's been a guy that's been a complete surprise for a lot of people. Not so much that he's a good player because Pittsburgh has always thought he was a good player. I just don't think anybody thought he would be this caliber of player right now, you know, this early in his career. Yeah. So with young players like this, and both, you know, both teams are playing very, very young goaltenders that have no track record, you know, at this at this level at this time of year. So you, you can't say, well, the, goal- the, la- the last three postseasons, they've been able to. No. Yeah. So you know that that's one of those things that. You really don't know what's going to happen as far as you know the pressure because there's no greater pressure than the pressure that a goaltender faces in the Stanley Cup final. I think I think for me probably two of the turning points or two of the things uh, that I'll be watching for are going to be general team speed and they're going to be special teams because one of the things that Pittsburgh brings to the table is they are a very fast team. They have become Montreal started the year as the fastest team with the changes that Pittsburgh made personnel wise. They had become probably the fastest team in the league. And for San Jose, they are also very fast. I'm not sure they're as fast as Pittsburgh, but they can play. They want to play at a really high tempo, but they're physically bigger. So you wonder how those two will play against each other and special teams. I think there's going to be an awful lot of people looking to see how the Pittsburgh penalty kill works against what in the playoffs has been an out standing power play for San Jose and you know either one of those two things could be the tilting points in this series now when it comes to you know playing a, you say Pittsburgh's the fastest team mm-hmm. how does that change up how you know the Sharks have a strong defense but do, do they alter how they're going to to go at this well I mean, it's I'm obviously sure different they... than than St. Louis which you know you kept saying was a, a body team had to hit mm-hmm. them to be able to win well they were able to get past that. Can they make sure the speed doesn't get past them? Yeah, well, and, and speed is one of those things where you you know you can't stop it, but you can try to develop ideas and, and places where you can slow it down. And usually, if you hear hockey people talk, especially about dealing with a you know a really good quick team, uh, coaches all talk about is you know you can you can understand how you can't contain it in the other end of the ice because generally your team's on offense so if the other team gets the puck it's a turnover and you're chasing but they really want to try and slow teams down in the neutral zone so they don't hit your zone at full speed where now you can't catch them so i think if you're san jose that's maybe where you want to use your size and you get in lanes and you try to see how much you can get away with with the officiating and slowing people down and maybe interfering with them a little bit the standard of officiating is most lax in the stanley cup final and that could be an advantage for san jose if they're trying to slow pittsburgh down being able to 
impede a bit more in the they neutral just, zone than they might normally be able to get away with. They let more offenses go and, and just let the play flow. Yeah, generally generally in the playoffs, it's it's a different standard. And in the Stanley Cup final, uh, sadly, the standard sometimes is completely abolished and it becomes Hudson <laughs> Bay rules, you know. But that's just the way that's just the way it is. And some people like that about the game and some people hate that about the game. But one thing it is, is that's the way the game is called by and large. All right. Uh, do you want to make a, a winner's prediction yet or are you still holding off? No, I'll say San Jose. I think San Jose, this is going to be their year. It's just they've been the team that should have won this several times over in the last seven years, and they've gotten this far. I uh, I think this is probably their, their year, and uh, I have nothing to base that on other than I just think I've got to pick one of them. People who listen to our show want you to say something, so uh, I don't really win or lose <laughs> so anything. So for no other particular reason than I asked. Yeah, other than other than you asking, I, and uh, when I do a show tomorrow, if I change my mind, I'll pick the other team on another station. When, when one of our other stations calls me to talk about this whole Pittsburgh, so in either station I can say I'm right. There you have it, Honest Broadcasting from Dean there Brown. Dean, talk to you Wednesday. Talk to you Wednesday. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. The place with the greatest hockey anal- a- 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 analysis, because it could change. Back in moments. Insurgent. Believe it. The resistance is here. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. Just seeing on CTV News uh, right now. The story about the scientific study of curling and broom techniques. Only in Canada, right? Only in Canada would you have PhDs studying how curling works. Gotta love it. Next, we'll be studying maple donuts or something. One of the great things about going to Vancouver for the Conservative Party convention was uh, this is the party that is looking for a new leader. The NDP will be as well, but they didn't have a convention on the weekend, so I, I wasn't hanging out with dippers. I did see some new Democrat MPs in first class as I slept to, well, two rows behind them on my flight home. There were more conservative MPs, but let's face it, new Democrats like to say they're the, the party of the working people. First class? doesn't say working people. But the great thing about going to the convention was being able to sidle up to leadership candidates, talk to them. What are you thinking? Are you going to run? If you were listening on Friday morning, you heard me ask Lisa Raid about that. Where is your head at in terms of running? Because she keeps being put forward as someone that might be doing it. She's thinking about it. So far, though, there's only three candidates that have confirmed they're going to run. Michael Chong, Maxime Bernier, and Kelly Leach, and I was able to sit down with each of them. So we'll parse this audio out over the next few days. Right now, though, up at the rebel.media is my full interview with Kelly Leach. It's 12 minutes, 12 minutes, 16 seconds. I'll let you hear part of it now, but if you want to see the full interview, including I get into who is Kelly Leach and why did this woman who was a successful surgeon decide to leave that life and become a politician, and it's kind of a behind-the-scenes behind the pulling back the curtain on who she is as a person. And I did that with each of the candidates. Well, you can find that up at the rebel.media right now. But here's the beginning of our conversation. 
Well, of course, the Conservative Party is looking for a new leader, and so far only a few have been brave enough to throw their name in. One of those contestants is with me now, Kelly Leach, a, a doctor, a surgeon, a member of Parliament, and now leadership contender. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So what made you decide to, to throw your hat into the ring? You've been an MP since 2011. Before mm -hmm. that, you were a doctor. We'll get into that whole business later. But Yes. Uh, you know, some people would say four years in, that's not enough time. Well, you know, I've been passionate about our party and passionate about the country for decades. I, I've been a member of the party since I was 14. And for me... So three or four years now. Yeah, look, I am, you know, in my mid-twenties, for yes. sure. Um, but, you know, I'm passionate about the party. And we were very blessed. We had an amazing government that was focused on being fiscally responsible, doing the things that had our economic house in order for a decade. Lowering taxes, making sure we de dealt with the debt, creating jobs. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the party can be even more than that, that we can answer the question, why? for our membership and for the Canadian public. And for me, simply put, it's about hard work so we can go help others. What do you mean the question why? Well, you know, as fiscal conservatives, as individuals that make sure that we can serve our resources, we do that so in the future we can make sure that, for example, my dad's business can grow larger so we can employ more people. Or, as fiscal conservatives, we know we can serve our resources. So if someone is, has a disability, we actually can take care of them. We're compassionate. If you're a young person and you're looking to see what's that great opportunity for skills development, we can help develop those opportunities. And as I say, it's about working hard so we can help others. You know, That's part of my conversation with Kelly Leach, one of the leadership contenders. You want to hear the full thing. It's 12 minutes. We go in-depth. We'll bring you more audio from the leadership contenders later in the week, but you want to hear the full interview with Kelly Leach? The Rebel.media. I'll post it to my Facebook page in a moment as well. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. She wants to know just who I am. A rebel? You know it. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. News Talk 580 CFRA. If you go to my Facebook page now, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly, you will find that interview with uh, Kelly Leach. We played a portion of it just before the break at the top of the hour. But I want to bring you a full interview that I did with Jason Kenney at the uh, conservative convention on the weekend. And please, if you like this, then go to that same Facebook page, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly, and hit share on it. Because this is a story of pushing back against the narrative that well, the conservatives are just old, angry white guys, and there's no diversity. Because Jason Kenney and I know history, we sat down to talk about that. Well, if you listen to the media narrative, if you listen to the liberal narrative, conservatives are just angry old white people, like, well, us two old, angry white people. Hey, speak for yourself. <laughs> Jason Kenney here with me. And uh, Jason, you and I have talked about this before, uh, the fact that y you look through history, the history of Canada, so many firsts on the conservative side. And I always bring it up because my hometown has two of them. First female cabinet minister, first black MP. Right. But there's so many more. And just behind us, and this is why I, I said, let's talk about this in Vancouver. Right. Just behind us is a, a building named for Douglas Young, is it? Jung. Jung. Douglas Jung, who I know his story. I just can't pronounce his name. So fill us in on Douglas Jung and, and then some of the other conservative firsts. So Douglas Jung is an 
amazing story. Uh, he was born in, in Victoria, in Chinatown there in, in the 1920s. Uh, Victoria had one of the largest Chinatowns in, in North America, by the way, uh, in, the first, in the, the turn of the century period. And he was born into a Canada when Chinese were not considered full and equal citizens. Um, or even, you know, subjects of the crown. They did not have the right to vote. And they couldn't even use a certain public facilities. In the, in the Canada that Douglas Jung grew up in, he couldn't use a public swimming pool. There were some government buildings he couldn't go into. We don't know this, but there, was a, there were specific uh, municipal ordinances, provincial laws uh, as well, that basically relate, were segregated. It sounds like Jim Crow-type laws. More or less. They segregated uh, uh, Chinese, people of Chinese ethnicity and origin in particular, and uh, none of them could obtain citizenship or have the right to vote. So this is the Canada in which he grew up, and yet he was an incredibly proud Canadian. Mm -hmm. And that's what I find so wonderful about his story, that, that notwithstanding the adversity and the unjust discrimination that he faced, he still saw the greatness and potential for this country so much that when Canada entered the Second World War in 1939, um, and especially after the uh, bombing of Pearl Harbor by the Japanese in December of 1941, Douglas Jung gathered a group of young Canadian men of Chinese origin to march down to the Canadian Army Recruitment Center a couple of blocks from here uh, to, to enlist to fight uh, Japanese imperialism in the Second World War. And the Army said, go away. We don't want you guys. You're not, you're not welcome. And week after week after week, Doug Jung and his uh, Chinese Canadian peers would show up, try to register, finally, towards the end of the war, the army, the Canadian military realized it needed people with Chinese language skills because of the end of the, they were fighting in Manchuria, they were fighting in China, they needed uh, special operators to go behind enemy lines. And so they enlisted uh, a couple of hundred Chinese Canadians, including Doug Zhang, who went over, went behind enemy lines uh, and helped to end uh, the Second World War. That's 1945. He goes to law, comes back, he goes to law school. And in 1947, when Mackenzie King's government brought in the, the, the first Citizenship Act, Douglas Jung and, his, and the community managed to win full and equal citizenship for Canadians of Chinese origin, the right to vote, the right to serve. And then in 19, he became president of the Young Progressive Conservatives, uh, the PCYF, the Progressive Conservative Youth Federation, and in 1957 ran as the progressive conservative candidate in Vancouver Center, the riding where we are right now. He won the election then. He won again in 58. He served in the Diefenbaker government. He was the first member of parliament of non-European origin, the first of Asian origin, the first of Chinese origin. He was a true trailblazer, a civil rights hero in the Canadian sense. And his story needs to be told more. Much more, which is why um, when the when there was a new Government of Canada building opening here in 2008, I believe, or nine, uh, I worked very hard and succeeded in having it named the Douglas Jung Building. It's one of my proudest uh, achievements. Uh, and you've had many achievements as Minister of Everything over the years. I, and, and, and this is a, you know, you might say, what's well, a small symbolic thing, but symbols matter. They really matter because, as I said, when we opened this building and named it after him, uh, the, the Douglas Jung, when he was a young man, could not go into certain public buildings, and now a Government of Canada building is named after him. That is fantastic. So, uh, Ellen Faircloth building in Hamilton, uh, first female cabinet minister and a conservative. So, um, he also worked with Ellen Faircloth in the conservative caucus of John Diefenbaker. So, I mean, those are two big firsts in, in one government. 
And, and yeah, exactly. And he worked with her to bring about a form of redress for the Chinese Canadians who had suffered uh, real discrimination under the immigration law, the so-called head tax, and then the Exclusion Act. Now, by the way, I have to tell you this, Brian. Uh, why was Douglas Jung a, a conservative? Because he said, because he remembered that it was Laurier who increased by 800% the head tax because the old head tax of 1885 was inadequate in keeping in achieve, achieving the unjust objective of keeping Chinese uh, from immigrating. So Wilfrid Laurier, mm-hmm. uh, one of the icons of, of uh, a great prime minister, I don't want to besmirch him, but you will never hear a liberal acknowledge that he massively increased the Chinese head tax to exclude Asian immigration uh, to Canada. And then in 1923, Mackenzie King adopted the Exclusion Act that prohibit that said even if you can afford the head tax and you're Chinese, you cannot immigrate. Now this meant that there were tens of thousands of Chinese young men. They were called the ba- Chinese bachelors living in these rooming houses in Chinatown. So all those old buildings were, yeah. and their sweethearts, their wives, their children were back in China. And because of the 1923 Liberal Exclusion Act, they could not immigrate to Canada. So when, when did du- that change? Uh, 1947 with the repeal of the Exclusion Act. But uh, in 1958, Doug Jung worked with Ellen Faircloth, your Hamilton first woman cabinet minister, to uh, allow every person of Chinese descent in Canada to sponsor a relative, typically a wife, from China to try to make up for that catastrophe that separated families. Let's uh, let's talk about some of the other uh, conservative firsts. Uh, First Muslim MP in Canada first Muslim elected to Parliament was one of your old caucus yeah, buddies. Yeah, uh, and the first Hindu, uh, Deepak O'Brien, the second Hindu, was uh, Devinder Shori, conservative. The first black Canadian MPN minister was your ham- fellow Hamiltonian, uh, the Honourable uh, Lincoln Alexander, who was also the first black viceroy uh, in Canada, appointed by Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, the first Canadian of Japanese origin elected to Parliament, uh, and as a minister was Conservative uh, Bev Oda. The first Canadian of Eastern European origin to sit in a, a, the federal cabinet was Michael Starr, a.k.a. Michael Starkovich, mm-hmm. from uh, Oshawa in the uh, Diefenbaker cabinet. The first um, person of uh, uh, Korean origin in the Parliament of Canada is uh, Deputy Conservative Senate Leader uh, Yana Martin, uh, the first uh, South Asian, excuse me, the first uh, Sunni Muslim in the uh, Parliament of Canada was actually uh, uh, Salma Atulajan uh, in the Senate, uh, and and on and on and on. The story goes, but the Conservative Party, contrary to official wisdom, has actually been the party of of diversity and breakthroughs in in in, in so many ways. And doing it, uh, I would say, for the most part, without. Uh you know, trying to curry special favors or, or any of the, that. It's just that people join because they say, here's principles that I believe in. This is true, although you, Doug Jung said that he became a conservative in part because of the liberal history of uh, racism in immigration policy, the Exclusion Act, and so forth. So people need to understand. I mean, John Diefenbaker was the first prime minister of neither English nor French origin. Which, in its own time, I mean, you, you would say, "Oh, he was a descendant of German immigrants." What is that? Well, in those days, it was a big deal. It's 1958. Right. The war had ended only 14 years earlier. Yes. I mean, Diefenbaker's family had been in Canada a long time, but but he was not Pierlen, uh, French Canadian or, or British British background. He was what he called the from the the third wave from the other people of of other backgrounds. Um, he appointed a guy named. Uh, 
Paul Yuzik, son of Ukrainian pioneers, to the Senate of Canada, who responded to Lester Pearson's bilingualism and biculturalism commission by saying, what about the rest of us who are neither British nor French origin? We respect those founding nations. We respect the institutions, traditions, and language that they represent. But we need to include everybody. And that was, that was the history of the Conservative Party. Jason Kenney, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All right, if you like what you heard there and you want to help spread the truth and not this false media narrative, you can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Scroll down, look for that Jason Kenney video. Hit share because more people need to know the history. More people need to know the truth. Back in moments. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. Fascinating interview on CTV's question period this weekend that I think is worth bringing to you again. Bob Fife sat down with Richard Fadden. Richard Fadden is one of the most uh, respected civil servants in recent memory. He was the former head of CSIS, former head of the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, and most recently, the Prime Minister's National Security Advisor under Stephen Harper. He retired just about a month or so ago, uh, did offer his services to Justin Trudeau, but then retired. He sat down to talk about the security threats Canada's facing. Here's the interview. So, Mr. Fadden, what do you see as the greatest threat to this country? I think it's hard to pick one, so I'm going to pick two, uh, if you'll forgive me. One, I think, is the traditional concern about terrorism. I think it's real. I don't think it presents an existential threat to Canada. It's not like, you know, during the Soviet period. But it's a threat. And I think the second one are cyber attacks, uh, which affect not only government but the private sector. And I think, arguably, they're getting worse rather than getting better. So let me ask you about uh, terrorism and recruiting of young people who have gone over to fight for Islamic State or other terrorist groups abroad. They're recruited often online, but they have to have recruiters here, presumably in mosques and uh, in community centers. I think that's true. Most of them find some connection through the Internet. I mean, you need to find somewhere, something to connect. Um, I think, generally speaking, people don't use the mosques. I think uh, for two reasons. One, a lot of the mosques are entirely legitimate. And two, if you're a bad guy, you'll be aware that people are keeping an eye on what's going around, on around mosques. So it's institutions around mosques, like you say, community centers, uh, you know, coffee shops and things of that nature. Uh, my experience is as soon as someone becomes really interested, and not everybody who's in initially interested stays with the idea, but if you become really interested, you're taken offline. There's a, there's a connection with one individual and you go away. You're not really connected with any institution. I want to ask you about Saudi Arabia because if you read a lot of intelligence reports and people write on that, the Saudis have funded mosques around the world. They've um, paid for Saudi-trained clerics to go to these mosques. And many of them are te teaching a pretty radical lobbyism that has led to extremism. Is, is, the th is that a threat to this country? Are, are the Saudis doing the same kind of thing that they've done in Europe and in Pakistan and in Indonesia and uh, in Bosnia? You've picked a really, I think, complex question. First, there's what the Saudi government is doing, and then there's what rich Saudis are doing. I think the Saudi government does continue to support mosques and cultural institutions around the world. Uh, less and less, I think, are individual countries accepting that they can send clerics over. Uh, there's a problem because many of them can't speak English, 
and there's the the sort of mindset mindset and institutional uh, problem. They do teach a very radical form of Islam, but it doesn't necessarily lead you to uh, to terrorism. I mean, the government of Saudi Arabia is against terrorism. I mean, they have their own problems domestically, uh, and I think they're a bit of a bulk work, bulk word in uh, in that part of the world against terrorism. But it is true. Uh, the country of Saudi Arabia does export people who are extremists. They have a lot of money, less than they had maybe a little while ago, and it does constitute a problem. Okay, so uh, cyber warfare, um, it is a huge problem. Not only is it states, states doing this, but now we have organized crime doing it, ransomware. Um, and um, um, the RCMP are saying, for example, that the Five Eyes are now watching this sort of stuff because of organized crime, but when it comes to state cyber warfare, is that largely the biggest offender being China? I think it's hard to really... Because the Americans, as you know, have complained loudly about yeah, it. Yeah, and they've said this very clearly. Uh, the Brits have said so as well. I think probably it is the Chinese. Uh, their broad approach is to use the vacuum cleaner approach. They'll, they'll you know, take pretty well anything they can. Um, then there are, number, there are maybe four or five other states that are becoming somewhat problematic. Um, and I think it's something that's very difficult to deal with. But if you take our relationship with China, for example, it's a problem, this cyber issue. On the other hand, China is one of the uh, largest economies in the world. There's a huge Chinese diaspora. We need to have relationships with them. So I think it's actually quite difficult to balance all of this and making sure we have a uh, workaday relationship while at the same time making it very clear we don't like the cyber attacks and at the same time, we do what we can, both public and private sector, to build defenses against them. So what other countries are now getting into this? Well, I think the ones that the media report more than anything are the Russians. Uh, they've been doing this for a very long time. Um, Iran? I think probably a little bit, but I think I'll stop at those three. Okay. There are a few others that are involved, but uh, with those three, you have a pretty good sense of most of the involvement in cyber attacks. I was always under the impression that the Russians were far more interested in going after military secrets in the old-fashioned way that the Russians did stuff, and, and less in terms of stealing high technology. Is that correct? I think it is. Uh, they're broadening as well, uh, but they have traditionally been quite a bit more interested in what I would call strategic intelligence, be it military or something a little bit broad, more broad. Um, but uh, they, I think, have come to the conclusion they have a problem. Their economy is not doing well, and even in years past, they've always tried to collect intelligence that related to the industrial base. But I do think you're correct. They tend to focus a little bit more on the strategic side, but they have a huge intelligence apparatus. and. I would apply the same comment to Russia as I did to China. They're there, we have to deal with them, and we have to find a way to have a relationship that works while making it clear this is not a good thing. The Russian intelligence service has committed assassinations uh, in Great Britain and probably el elsewhere around the world um, against people they don't like. Uh, is this, has this ever been a concern of them doing it to somebody in Canada? You'll remember a few decades ago when there was concerns about um, United States naval vessels uh, uh, carrying nuclear weapons, and the answer, I'm going to paraphrase that answer, I can neither confirm nor deny. Okay. So um, I'll take that as... Neither confirming nor denying. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that as maybe I should do some legwork on this. <laughs> do you support uh, what many eminent uh, judges have said, is what we need is a 
one oversight body, because all our intelligence services, whether it's the communications security establishment, CSIS, the, the armed forces, they're all RCMP, they're all kind of working together now. Mm -hmm. Do we need uh, one oversight body for these intelligence organizations um, so that the public can be assured that nobody's doing anything illegal? Yeah, it's a good question again. I think uh, the way to look at this is the, the current government has made a commitment to have a committee of parliamentarians deal with national security. If that's going to be effective at all, they have to have access to classified information, which I think will be the beginnings of what you're talking about. And to my mind, the logical thing to do would be to establish this committee of parliamentarians, give them some staff, access to classified information, and then work through whether CERC or the CSEC commissioner or the person who reviews military intelligence are integrated properly or not. Broadly speaking, uh, I think there is something to be said for somebody somewhere having an overview. I think you're right. And now, finally, I want to ask you this. You have been at the apex, really, mm -hmm. of all the intelligence that this country, that very few people get to see. You've saw, seen it all. You're now retired. Mm -hmm. um, what's it like there? You've you must be wanting to wake up in the morning. I'd like to know what's going on. Well, uh, two reactions. One, to some degree, and it, whether your job or my job, if you're, you know, if you're uh, bathed in, in intelligence or information and it's cut off, to some degree it's like losing a bit of oxygen. So it takes adjusting. On the other hand, I can now read the newspaper in the morning or watch CTV and not have to say, holy mother of God, I'm going to have to do something about this. <laughs> or I'm going to have to tell the minister or the prime minister. That's a nice change. <laughs> well, Mr. Padden, thank you very much. Appreciate you coming in to speak to us. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, Bob Five's interview with Richard Padden from Question Period. Um, and a well-deserved retirement to... Today, congratulations. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit about that park thing. Rick Shirelli with a different view. He's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. You know what I was doing during that uh, that interview of Richard Fadden that was playing? I was dreaming of moving to Vancouver, trying to figure out how to get there. It was an amazing, um, like the weather was just awful for most of the time that I was there. But the, the city itself is stunningly beautiful, at least downtown. The trip from the airport, ugh, there are some nasty, nasty sections out there. But one of the things I kept hearing all weekend, uh, including from the, the technical engineer that was running the show as I was broadcasting live from the convention on Friday, is that it is incredibly expensive for a family to try and live there. That it is the housing bubble is so big that you simply can't afford it. So I, I decided to do a little a check on it. Um, cheapest two-bedroom apartment that I could find in the central area of Vancouver, half a million dollars. The cheapest one bedroom, 249.9. So essentially, essentially a quarter million dollars for a one bedroom apartment. Now this is right downtown on West Hastings Street. So you are a short walk to Burrard Inlet, which takes you out to the ocean. It is, uh, 
not exactly a, a large place. And I'm just looking for what the three, 360 square feet. 360 square feet will cost you $250,000 plus monthly maintenance fees. You're not going to get in a condo building with, uh, with an indoor pool and hot tub and all of this and not have to pay uh, monthly maintenance fees. The talk is that this is actually going to drive workers out of the city. Now, sometimes I think that the price of real estate in Ottawa is far too high. <clears throat> but by comparison to Vancouver and Toronto, we're doing okay. At one point, I thought I was going to have to move to Toronto. One of the executives at Sun News started talking about how, you know, you better be down here. This is the place to be. I started looking at real estate, and I could not afford anything that was at least to buy anything close to what I could afford here. $600,000 in Toronto will get you a house that looks like it should be condemned. It's getting unaffordable. So the the engineering tech, the tech engineer that was operating the board for me in Vancouver was telling me that uh, there are many people like him living in multi-generational households again. He and his wife live with their in-laws, or his in-laws, her parents, because they simply can't afford a home. They could maybe buy a, a one-bedroom apartment somewhere, but you're not going to be able to raise a family in a one-bedroom apartment. This has actually become a, a political issue for, and we, we talked about it a bit with John Budden in terms of uh, market issue. It's become a political issue as well, though, because the parties have all figured out that during the election, voters wanted to know, what are you going to do about this? An awful lot of what's happening is that foreign money is coming into Vancouver, mostly from China, but also from Saudi Arabia. The uh, I was told that the three top penthouses in the Fairmont Pacific Room, which is a gorgeous, luxurious hotel right by the water, that one... Saudi, one wealthy Saudi, bought all three and combined them into one. Have I confirmed this? No, but this is what the locals are telling me. $50 million real estate transaction, bought three penthouses, combined them into one, had it renovated. I'm also told that in the downtown core, many of these condo units are empty because the owners live offshore. They come to Vancouver, but they don't live in Vancouver. They see this as a cheap investment. Because for them, Vancouver's not expensive. But for the local workers and the local companies trying to hire workers, it is becoming unaffordable. I have no idea what the solution is. No idea at all. You, can't, you couldn't build enough affordable housing to deal with this. But the cost of real estate in Vancouver being driven through the roof, which is why I'm just going to sit here and pine at the thought of buying one of these condos and just broadcasting to you from with a view of the bird inlet and the port. That's another fantastic thing about Vancouver. A lot of people don't realize it is one of the busiest industrial ports in North America. And Vancouver, of course, is known as the, the green city, fancy pants city. Ezra put it this way at our event on Friday night. Even if you've got a waterfront view, even the most fancy pants environmentally friendly, down with industry type, has to look out at that, that inlet, at that harbor, and see 
container ships going in and out. It is a busy port. And I always say that when you see things like that, you should be happy because it means people are working. They're working down at the park at Mooney's Bay right now. And this has become a controversy that I'm not sure I fully understand. I get there are questions around the financing of this park and whether the city should be partnering in a secretive deal with uh, a P3. I'm not sure I'm, I'm crazy about that. But the idea that there has to be public consultation on a park like this. Well, Rick Shirelli said something last week while speaking with Evan Solomon that caught my ear. And that's the issue of delegated authority. And we're going to be talking to Rick in a couple of minutes about that very issue. Delegated authority where this, the elected officials say, nope, you're allowed to hold sway over this issue. You're allowed to make decisions without coming to the elected representatives up to and including this. Well, you won't believe the level that it's set at at the city. And this is always put forward as let's take the politics out of things. Well, when you take the politics out of it, people get upset. They demand a say. Well, it's too late to have a say. So these meetings that are going to go on, the public consultations, all of that, it's all for show. This deal's going through. This park is being built. And part of it has to do with people wanting to take the politics out of decisions at City Hall. And I will tell you, whether it's City Hall, the province, or the feds, taking the politics out of it is a bad idea because... Who do you actually, who do you hold to account? Who do you hold to account when something goes wrong? We'll talk with Rick Shirelli in just a few minutes. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. Back in moments. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. There's no point to have your say because they've already made the decision. They don't consult. Someone picked this part and said, this is where it's going without talking to anyone. That was Karen Howard, former city councillor and also someone who is very upset at this new giant park going in at Mooney's Bay that's a cross between Euro Disney and a nuclear waste dump, and so we've all got to rally around and stop it. But it's not going to be stopped. And the idea that there had to be public consultation, well, there's a reason there wasn't public consultation. Rick Shirelli has alluded to this on the air, but I want to go in a bit more depth with him now. Uh, Rick, uh, Councillor, thanks for joining the uh, the program. Uh, Phil is in on what the delegated authority policy is at Ottawa City Hall and how it affects something like this? Well, basically, uh, you elect people to make decisions for you, but those people, city council, uh, decides at various times to delegate that authority. So instead of council making the decision, it transfers decision-making within certain parameters to city staff or other people to make that decision. But the problem is those other people are not elected and they're not accountable and they make decisions that may look good on paper to them, but it's not shared with anyone else. 
until after the fact. And it's and is that uh, what happened in this case that staff made this decision without it going to council? Yeah, that's right. Uh, in this case, uh, council had delegated authority over spending uh, that particular amount of money, a million dollars, on citywide park initiatives uh, to staff. Uh, they did consult with two people, I guess, with uh, uh, one city councillor and the mayor. But the, the, rest the, of the council didn't. The councillor who represents the area. Right. But the rest of council didn't see it. It was not put out in front of the public for comment or decision making. And, you know, the, the park may be a great idea. I'll, I'll say that right now. Maybe a great idea. But the value in the democratic process is having it go in front of council and having the pros and cons debated and then having a decision made by the people who are elected and representing the population. So, yeah, look, I, I, I don't know why all the outrage is there over this park. It seems like an interesting uh, concept. And as the mayor has pointed out, it's one acre out of 72. Um, and, and maybe there's problems with the design. I'm hearing complaints about that. But I, I, personally, I think there's an awful lot of people that are trying to whip up anger over the park and and uh, they're whipping up hysteria but the, this issue is going to remain the same if we don't deal with this idea of we have to take the politics out of these decisions so let's have staff make decisions that's always yeah, we, a bad idea i don't think you guys should be approving whether uh you know someone in the clerical department needs a new stapler but a million dollars is significant money yeah, that's right. And But there's a greater danger to, uh, I think, to democracy. And that is, uh, as soon as people buy into the concept of, hey, let's take the politicians out of this decision, as soon as you buy into that, what that translates into is, hey, let's take my representative out of that decision. But we hear this at all levels of government and from people of all political persuasions. They, I, I guess, it, it, to me, it sounds like so often people don't trust politicians or they think that you'll do something in you know, out of self-interest so they say well give it to these people because they don't have any self-interest i mean bureaucrats are are always wholly impure i suppose but yeah that, but, uh, that's, com- that's that's false. completely false that's completely false uh in a democracy uh when it comes to protecting your rights your future uh your interests your politician is all you've got because nobody else is directly responsible to you Nobody else is directly accountable to you, and you can't do anything to anybody else who ignores you and makes a decision against your interests. So, well, yeah, we, whole, we, we can't vote a bureaucrat out. No, you cannot. And you know, we saw this. I thought pretty uh, cynical uh, approach to the Mooney's Bay thing. Uh, the decision's made, contract is signed, the work has begun, and there are people saying, "Well, we'll hold a consultation." Uh, there is nothing that is more farcical than holding a consultation on a decision that cannot be reversed, that's already been signed, uh, because all it's doing is misleading people into thinking they might have some impact on it when, in fact, they don't. Which would just breed more cynicism about politics and get rid of the politicians. Right. And, you know, if you look back to uh, before this last municipal election, the biggest issue going into the election was Orga World. And Orga World, you know, the whole issue around that and mm-hmm. and the millions of dollars uh, that were, were misspent on that uh, project. And everybody was vowing 
to increase politicians' oversight over these types of projects. And I think we really need to follow through on that commitment. So well, how long has this policy of delegated authority of up to a million dollars, how long has that been city policy? Well, there are parts of it that are worse. <laughs> there are parts of it that are up to $50 million for the city manager. And what happened if you date... Up to what? Up to $50 million. The, so the so, city manager can authorize a project worth $50 million. On certain things. If it's within uh, sort of the general uh, commitments councils made on a particular issue. So no, that's, no, that's possible. no, no. That is ridiculous. And that has to stop. <laughs> of course it does. And the thing is, what people need to realize is that... Uh, you know, it may be boring to have an issue like a park like this come to council and be debated, but it's important to the people who are involved. And it is important to get the people's input into the decision that's being made so that uh, the people making the decision can be held accountable for it. We also saw, you know, the creation of the uh, Transit Commission. And if you listen to the rhetoric around that, it was Let's take decisions about transit and bus routes and all that out of the hands of politicians. Okay, well, that's 15 to 17% of council spending. You're taking it out of the hands of elected and accountable people, or at least the whole council, and giving it to a new commission that's half councillors, half not. But the thing is, why shouldn't that be in the hands of people who are elected and accountable to the public? I mean, if we're just going to keep doing this, why uh, why bother electing you at all? Well, that's a good question because, you know, if you do that and you have the Board of Health, which um, I'm sure, you know, in the previous term, uh, council used to be the Board of Health. And council uh, decided on the crack pipe distribution issue. Council decided not to distribute crack pipes. Mm-hmm. So now we have an independent Board of Health with some councillors on it, but again, uh, half of them are not councillors. Well, we, 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 and they make the decision on those things now. So politicians can say, hey, I'm against this, but it doesn't matter because unelected people on this Board of Health will make the decision to go ahead with it. Well, that, that has to be reversed and it has to be changed. Uh, Rick, we're out of time, but um, hope, hopefully we can start peeling this back. Maybe this is the good thing that comes out of this park controversy, is people need to realize that it's, uh, it's due to previous decisions that, you know, council just didn't have a say, and there's many other areas where that is the same. Uh, Rick, And if we, if we just reestablish uh, authority, and t- well, change our delegated authority bylaw and put council in the driver's seat over more of those things. I think it's important. Yeah, including that $50 million. You better watch yeah. that. I'm Brian Lilly. Okay. This is Beyond the News. That was Councillor Rick Shirelli on the issue, the real issue at the root of the park problem. Thanks for listening today. Back with you tomorrow. As always, remember, I'm on your side.